Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. For the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Matthew Rocchio is here. I'm Randy Carriker. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? Randy, welcome back. It's great to see you. It's great to be back. I was at the the Bill McEntee Memorial Golf Tournament yesterday to benefit backstoppers, and they had a lot of golfers, and they made a lot of money, and it's always good to support the backstoppers here in St. Louis, and uh, thanks to Chris Kerber for sitting in for me, and I know you guys had a lot of fun. We did. It was great to have Kerbs in. We um, talked some Blues hockey. We talked some Springfield Thunderbirds hockey. We talked to Michael Walker yesterday, Randy, which was great, uh, but most importantly, how'd you hit him yesterday? Uh, got off to a slow start, Michelle. Not great uh, mm. at the beginning, but picked it up for about the last 12 holes, and I played with uh, Mike Summers and John and Jerry Aubuchon. Had a good time. And, yeah, once uh, once I got rolling, once I, I figured out what I was doing wrong, I, that's the key to taking lessons is that you can figure out what you're doing wrong. And so if, if you are a golfer that hasn't taken lessons and you get out on the course and you have no idea what you're doing wrong, to me, that was the biggest difference is knowing why I wasn't able to do certain things. Diagnosing the problem is step one. Yeah. Once you get the tools to fix it, though, applying it to your game, which I guess is step two slash three, much much harder than you think. Right, and you can't get <laughs> emotional about it. You really have no. to be you have to be really cool and calculating. That's the thing about the guys on the tour. Number one, they have an incredible ability to focus, and number two, most of the guys, unless you had that guy couple days ago that broke his club over his knee at the uh, at the U.S. Open. But most of those players are pretty cool and can bounce back pretty easily when they hit a bad shot. And that's the difference between yeah. them and us. Yeah, I, I am not that guy. Hopefully the Cardinals can bounce back after a 2-0 loss last night to the Milwaukee Brewers. Tyrone Taylor with a two-run homer that won it for the Pirates. That was the only run of the game in the fifth inning off of Miles Michaelis, and he was great, Michelle, wasn't he, for a second consecutive game? Absolutely. I wanted to see what he looked like, how sharp he might be after that essentially com- complete game that we saw out of him his last time in the rotation. But Randy, he is so dominant and looks so sharp this season. A healthy Miles Michaelis, I said it last week, is a very beautiful thing. He goes six and a third last night. He allows only the two runs on the home run by Taylor through exactly 100 pitches, 59 of those for strikes. Here's his manager, Ali Marmol. Yeah, Miles was good. Uh, competed well. Slow strikes early with that curveball. Was able to get into counts with it when he fell behind. Um, competed well. That homer got him, but uh, overall gave us a chance. And Marmol did allow him to go out and get to 100 pitches. After throwing 130 the last time, he allowed him to go out for the seventh. Yeah, going into 95 was kind of 
where we wanted to cap it. Um, he got to 100, so we're, we were comfortable with it. He didn't have any stress innings. Uh, that homer for two runs outside of that, it was pretty free and clear. So he wanted to go back out there for that last one. Uh, we felt okay with it. And Michelle, I, I was pleasantly surprised by Johan Oviedo mm-hmm. not allowing a run. I he was go- too. <laughs> he goes an inning in two thirds. And our, our, when something happens like last night, when Corbin Burns who's the Cy Young Award winner in the National League, and he sticks it to you. And then Devin Williams and Josh Hader, probably the best back-of-the-bullpen one-two punch in the National League. But when that happens and the Cardinals get shut out, is it on the Cardinals or is it, uh, is it because of the Brewers? I think you tip your cap to the Brewers. <laughs> I those, do too. <laughs> those are three elite pitchers, and the Cardinals did their job with Miles Michaelis. Other than, than one mistake, really, the Cardinals matched them pitch for pitch, essentially. And uh, no, that is not a... Yes, I know there's a lot of people saying too many strikeouts, but look at who who your opposition is. They are getting paid on strikeouts. They're really, really good. But the difference is, Randy, is that the the Brewers are dealing with a lot of attrition when it comes to their pitching, and the Cardinals, the rest of this series, better take advantage of it. You know when you see Corbin Burns that you're likely going to lose, Mm -hmm. or at least you're going to have a pretty strong chance of losing, but you still have a three other games in this series where you need to handle your business now that the Brewers are top of the, of the division. And tonight you do have Jack Flaherty going, and he'll be opposed by Chai Chai Gonzalez, who the Rockies didn't even want to keep around. A pitcher that the Rockies didn't want to keep around. So he must not be that great. So hopefully the Cardinals can do some damage against Chi-Chi. Yeah, I mean, the Rockies are paying other other teams to take their That's guys. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One other baseball note that I want to pass along here. The Yankees knocked off Tampa 2-1. to one. Uh, Garrett Cole went into the ninth or went into the eighth inning with a no hitter. Michelle, the Yankees are now fifty and seventeen. They won their fiftieth game of the season last night. We're seeing historical stuff here. If they maintain this pace, they'll wind up with the best record for a single season in the history of baseball. And I would have never thought with this particular Yankee team that that would be the case. Think about the fact that they have won twelve more games than the Cardinals. <laughs> 12 more games. Isn't that unbelievable? And this has been a really competitive and fun Cardinals team this season. And the Yankees have won 12 more games than them up to this point. It's and remarkable. The, the most amazing thing is that I think if any of us had gone into the season saying that the Yankees would have the best starting pitching in baseball, somebody would have said, you're crazy. Because you would have figured that Garrett Cole would have been really good. Because he is. And he has a $324 million contract to show for it. But Jamison Tyone is 8-1. and one. Jordan Montgomery, who's been pedestrian for much of his career, is 3-1 uh, and one in his 7 starts. You are, or in his 13 starts, rather. Uh, you have uh, Nestor Cortez. He's the story of the league. 6-2 and two for the Yankees with a 1.94 ERA. And then Luis Severino has rebounded. He's got a dozen starts, and he's got a 3.27 ERA. It's all about starting pitching. Well, let's not also forget the other... A uh, sprinkle of magic on the Yankees. Matt Carpenter. It's true. Yep. The, the mustache has some power in it. Their fortunes changed dramatically when Marp got there. I think there's no doubt. Yeah. So the Yankees, 50 and 17. We don't talk about them much, but we should because they're amazing. And I looked it up this morning. 50 and 17 is tied for the seventh fastest to 50 wins in Major League history. The seventh fastest. Yep, I've got it for you here. I was going to say, who else is on that list? You've got the 1912 Giants, which we shouldn't know. They they were 50 and 11. The 2001 Mariners Hmm. went 50 and 14. They wound up winning 116 games and then getting bounced from the playoffs by the Yankees. The 1939 Yankees went 50 and 14. 
1902, Pirates 50 and 15. I don't remember them. 28, Yankees 50 and 16. 07, Cubs 50 and 16. And then the 2022 Yankees, along with the 98 Yankees, both 50 and 17. So early century is most of the, the fastest 50 wins. The 07 Cubs, huh? Yeah, but 19. Oh, 1907. <laughs> I was like, 2007, the Cubs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry Thanks, about they that. Thanks for clarifying. I was like, I don't remember that dominant Cubs team. No, that's because they didn't exist. <laughs> okay, great. 07, we have to clarify that. Yep, no doubt about it. Hey, last night, uh, go, let's go Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning rebound from getting shellacked 7 to nothing in the second game of the Stanley Cup Finals. They rebound last night with a 6-2 victory. Gabriel Landeskog actually made it kind of scary early on. He scored 8-19 into the game on the power play for Colorado, 1-0 Avalanche. But Anthony Sorelli scored for the Avalanche. Andre Palat scored for or, or for the Lightning. It's a 2-1 game. They're playing in the second period. And Nicholas Paul comes through for Tampa. He's one of the best players in the National Hockey League. Some might even call him a perfect player. He has led the Stanley Cup playoffs in scoring each of the last two years. He's third coming into this one. Here's a turnover. Colton fires into the slot, and Nick Paul scores. Well, there's our answer as to how Paul is feeling. Right now, he's floating on air. It was 4-2 Tampa Bay after two periods, and then midway through the third, guess who came through? Penalties are over now to Manson and Maroon, and Manson comes right out of the box to take it away at center and throws it in deep as he heads to the bench for a change. Meantime, Maroon stays out, gives it up, gets it back, cuts right into the crease, and scores! He chips a backhander over Kemper. It's 5-2. Death, taxes, and Pat Maroon postseason goals. <laughs> right, yeah. You just know what's going to happen. Did you hear his comments after Game 2 where he was essentially saying, we're not worried at mm-hmm. all, we need to play Tampa Bay Lightning hockey, we don't care if they score first, we're going to maintain our composure, if we can play our style of hockey, they're going to be in big time trouble, and he was absolutely right. And Colorado got off to a really quick start in Games 1 and 2, and it seems like the Lightning have made the adjustments needed basically learned the lessons that mm-hmm. they did in, in games one and two and applied it to game three. And this is a series. And when Colorado, at the end of the game, tries to goon things up a little bit, there's Pat Maroon to <laughs> say, nope, it ain't going to happen tonight, folks. Uh, I'm going to end this now. And he did. He and Cogliano uh, getting into it after the Cogliano slash. Pat Maroon was the guy who went in to protect his teammates. Not surprising at all. Not at all. So it was 6-2 Tampa, and the series now 2-1 in favor of Colorado, and we'll have game number four tomorrow night at 6.30 right here on 101 ESPN. It was the largest margin by which the Avalanche have lost in the playoffs since the 4-1 defeat by the Blues on May 19th. Mm. They haven't been beaten this badly in the playoffs since May 19th, and it is now June 21st. Isn't that incredible? And the only team other than the Blues to beat the Avalanche in a playoff game. Tampa mm-hmm. finally winning last night. I think they were 14-2 and and 12-0 and against everybody else heading into last night. All right, we're off and running here on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, it's time for an edition of Want or Need for the St. Louis Blues. Today's subject, Vladimir Tarasenko. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's important to distinguish between need and want. You think you want something because you've been conditioned to want it. I want the pump! I want 
school, we had that class. I think it might have been economics class where we learned about wants and needs. And the wants are, uh, well, let's start with the needs, Michelle, okay? The needs are you need to have food, you need to have shelter, you need to have clothing, right? Those are your essentials. Your, yeah. Those are the things that you need. Matthew? Are you, are you going Maslow on us right now? A little bit, You're going yeah. Maslow on us right now. Now, I will tell you this, full disclosure, I was sent right at the beginning of COVID to shop for a bunch of needs. I was sent to multiple stores to get, well, I, I actually didn't think about the toilet paper thing. But I should have. No, I should have. Right. It became, became a problem. But I, I was sent out to get like canned chicken and canned tuna and dog food and, uh, you know, the, the things that were sustainable that we could keep going. I went out, Michelle, and the first thing I went to was the ribeye aisle. Yeah, and so I'm important. Low, yeah, for me that was a need, especially but, if I, if you knew everything was getting shut down. You don't know what meat production might look like. That could be the last ribeye you have for a long time. You don't know. I was stunned to be standing in this line, 40, 50, 60 carts long. Oh my gosh, I and, remember that day. Yeah, and I've got all this canned tuna and all this canned chicken, and I've got half a dozen ribeyes, and all these people have <laughs> toilet paper in their carts. I'm saying, why do these people? Don't they need ribeyes? No, their loss is your gain, Randy, because yeah. you got all the good revise. I did. So that was, actually, I did need it, but it wasn't really a need. So, Well, you need food. You, you do need food. This is true. So that's, yeah, one of, the, one of the needs. But a want is like a new putter or a new driver or a new bicycle or new, uh, a new outfit or a new purse, a new bag, right? Those are kind of, those are yeah. kind of wants. When you, your wife said go to the store, you didn't go to the mall to buy a new set of pajamas for you no. to lounge in during the pandemic. Exactly. That was not a need. Right. So we came up with this idea a couple of weeks ago for the St. Louis Blues. Player, do you want him or do you need him? And yesterday... When Chris Kerber was filling in for me here on Character and Smallman, he was asked in a rapid-fire blues want or need whether or not Vladimir Tarasenko for the blues is a want or a need. The, the first player to get to 80 points since Pavel Dimitra. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference. You need the offense. Do you need the player? And you could find the offense with a different player. Can you? Perhaps. I don't know. I mean, I mean, it looked like Jordan Cairo is trending to be an 80-point player. If you are going to move these guys up into top six roles full-time, they're going to have to take somebody's spot. He's been a, he's been a terrific player since he got here. I, I, I'm banking this on I don't know what his personal wants are right now. That's why I'm stuck on that. All right, so Vladimir Tarasenko, is he a want or his, is he a need for the St. Louis Blues? Let me start with this, Michelle. Okay. Every team needs a player like Vladimir Tarasenko that provides the sort of offense that he provides for the team. As Kerbs mentioned, first player since Pavel Dimitris to score more than 80 points for the Blues. He had 34 goals, 48 assists. He led the Blues in goals and points. I say that because... He's right. Every team needs a player like Vladimir Tarasenko. I think 
What makes Vladimir Tarasenko a want, and this is where I'm going to come down in this argument, is that I believe the Blues have several players that they ha- that are going to ascend to that level that will render Tarasenko a want. He's going to be a luxury item if you have him at $7.5 million. I think Bushnevich is going to rise to that level. I think, like Curbs, Kairou is going to rise to that level. So I'm coming down... On the side of, for this particular organization, and we have to throw salary cap ramifications in here, I believe Vladimir Tarasenko for the Blues is a want. I think he's a luxury item. I've gone back and forth on this one. I think Vladimir Tarasenko is the toughest question that Doug Armstrong is going to have to tackle this offseason. It was probably the toughest question he tackled last last offseason, but it persisted. I think... That my thought process on this has been shifted greatly watching the Colorado Avalanche in the postseason because the Blues are right there. They are right there with the Colorado Avalanche. All of these other teams in the NHL couldn't hang with the Avs. The Blues could have beaten them, probably should have beaten them. There were a lot of circumstances that were working against the Blues in that series, but they took them to six games, six seconds until they forced overtime in game six. They're a team that's built to win a Stanley Cup, and I just don't know if removing your highest goal score, your highest points getter on the St. Louis Blues is going to be a winning recipe for you to try to repeat the success you had this season when you're going into next season. Not only, Randy, did Vladimir Tarasenko have his highest output for points and goals, 34 goals, 82 points. He played 75 games. He's healthy again. He went out there and proved every single doubter wrong. And he found so much chemistry with Pavel Buchnevich and Robert Thomas on that line. I think if you're looking at the St. Louis Blues as a cup contender, Vladimir Tarasenko is a big reason why. And I wouldn't want to disrupt that. I think he's need. There's no doubt that you have to get those points from somewhere. The other part of this that I look at, and Michelle, I agree with you in that the Blues are right there with Colorado. Can you afford to be playing with your most expensive player? He and Ryan O'Reilly are your most expensive players. Can you afford to be playing Stanley Cup playoff overtime games where that guy doesn't have a shot on goal? Like game one against Colorado. he You watch a guy like Landis Cog, he's showing up every single night. McKinnon <laughs> really hasn't shown up every night, but the, the the most of the big boys for Colorado are showing up every night. You see Stamkos, you see Kucherov for Tampa. They, they show up every night. One thing that's happened with Vladdy, and it's been a career-long issue with him, is that he isn't always engaged come playoff time. Which is so mind-blowing to me, because how can you not be engaged during the most important time of the season? Especially when you have a regular season like you did, where you were proving all the doubters wrong. I think the biggest knock on Vladimir Tarasenko is the biggest check mark for David Perron that he is your best player mm-hmm. and shows up in the playoffs. He's Every like night. he's like a fine wine that gra- that gradually blooms and becomes its peak self in the postseason when you need it whereas Vladimir Tarasenko is not. Um, one goal, two assists in six games versus Colorado. You got to be better than that. You absolutely have to be better than that. He'll be the first to tell you probably that he needs to be better than that. But I still think you have a regular season to get to the postseason. And Vladimir Tarasenko, despite yet again being generally disappointing in this year's Stanley Cup playoffs, he still 
such a dangerous player and can take over a game at any time. Who else on the St. Louis Blues can really do that? Ryan O'Reilly can do that. We've seen David Perron do that at times. Maybe if everything is working right, Jordan Cairo, somebody that could do that. But Vladimir we'll Tarasenko that. can. And I think the one guy that has the ability to do that is Buchnevich. Now, he did it at times, rarely, but he did it at times. But physically, he has the skills to do that. I want to bring up one other point that you made, and that's about Doug Armstrong, because we all assume that Vladdy is healthy. But what happens if that shoulder acts up in October and Vladdy's in the last year of his contract? Is Vladdy's value ever going to be as high for you as it is right now? Because you have the choice, in my mind, between moving him or trying to sign him to an extension, but I don't think he can do anything in between. I don't think he can plan on, because you're going to be in the playoff hunt. If if he's on your team, you're going to be in the playoff hunt. You can't trade him at the deadline. Doug Armstrong, as we know, hates to allow assets to walk out the mm-hmm. door and get nothing for them. So that's another dilemma that Army is dealing with right now. At what point do I allow him to either walk out the door or resign him and give up my dreams of having Matthew Kachuk on the Blues. I don't think they're going to give up on that dream, that Kachuk dream so quickly. But also, doesn't Vladdy have a no-trade clause? He does. So he's got power in this as well. Right. And how many contenders out there are really going to be wanting to add the salary of Vladimir Tarasenko? JR reported last year that Tarasenko had pretty much agreed to go to any team. That's probably changed now. But... If you can go to, let's just throw a team out there, uh, an ascending Red Wings team. Not great this year, but you know Steve Eiserman's going to build a good squad. And I don't know if Eiserman would be willing to give up the picks to get a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko. But I wonder if he would be willing to go to a younger ascending team that has cap space. And about half the league has cap space. And we don't know this because we haven't spoken to Vladimir Tarasenko about it and he hasn't spoken publicly about it. But if we could climb into his mind, I wonder how much this season shifted the way he views his current circumstances, where he knows how close the Blues are to winning again and he realized how lucky Mm -hmm. he was to not be moved or not be taken by the Kraken because life wouldn't have been as good. He wouldn't have been in a position to potentially win. He would have not had the adoration of the fans or or his place in the organization the way he does in St. Louis. I wonder if he looks at that trade request as a massive bullet that he dodged because he's Mm -hmm. he's in his 30s. At some point, you're focused on what your legacy is going to be when all this is done. And being in St. Louis is his best chance of winning and adding to his legacy. This is when, when Doug Armstrong talks about putting together a puzzle, and that's what you do with the cap and with players. Not necessarily this coming season, but when Ryan O'Reilly is a free agent, and depending on what you do with David Perron, having a bunch of guys in their 30s, that's not a recipe for success generally in the NHL. I'll be interested to see who winds up staying with the Blues in 2023-2024. Who's here and who's not? I just think it's so funny when we talk about wants and needs that so many people... And I understand the logic behind it, though. Think that your highest goal scorer is a want. <laughs> that, yeah. you know, it kind of tells you how good the team is. Yes, exactly. That it's not one person that makes this this engine go. But I just I I just want to pump the brakes on it because mm-hmm. in theory we talk about what it's like to remove Vladimir Tarasenko from the equation and how we expect all of these other players to ascend and we trust Doug Armstrong to bring in other pieces that will plug that dam. 
But let's not forget how good Vladimir Tarasenko is. And was this past season. Absolutely. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN, was the series against the Red Sox? Yes. And we also have some some breaking news that I'll tell you when we come back. I like this. We like breaking news. And that's next, along with whether or not the Cardinals have to go out sooner rather than later to help out their bullpen. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 101 ESPN, breaking news alert. And Michelle told you about breaking news just coming in this morning. What do you got? We had heard some speculation, some rumblings last night, Randy, but it is official. ESPN putting out the notice. Four-time major champion Brooks Kepka is the latest golfer to officially defect from the PGA Tour to join Live Golf in their Invitational Series. Sources have confirmed it to ESPN. And Brooks Kepka, 32, he's one of the highest profile players to now join this circuit. And that circuit is not going to run out of money. They don't need a business plan because they have multiple hundreds of billions of dollars so even though their matches are shown on YouTube and basically what Saudi Arabia is trying to do is to get you to forget about the fact that they cut up Jamal Kasagi with a bandsaw by saying oh look we do sports and so it's called sports washing and Brooks Kepka is like you said a high profile player and by the way uh, one of his endorsements is St. Louis-based Anheuser-Busch. He does Michelob Ultra ads. I'll be interested to see if they'll maintain that partnership with him on a couple of fronts. Number one, do you want a guy that's in bed with the Saudis? Number two, do you want a guy that nobody's ever going to see? Because you aren't going to see the live tour. You might read about it. You might hear about it. But how many people are going to actually go to YouTube to watch Brooks Kepka? The other part of this is at the end of the season, the PGA has playoffs Right now, this year, he's 84th. He He's not performing very well this year now. Is he visible? Yes. Is he a great get for Liv? Yes. Is he a huge loss right now for the PGA Tour? I don't think so. I'm surprised that he would go because Bryson's going to live. Mm-hmm. And we know that the, the beef that exists between the two of them. But I wonder, Randy, if guys now are just saying, you know what, so many other guys have already gone that if I just take this money and do it, the heat that's going to come my way is so much less because all of these other guys have absorbed it before me. It's it's like those guys, Phil and, and DJ, they were the first line of defense. They're going to absorb the the most burns and have the most scar mm-hmm. tissue. Right. By the time that, that Brooks Kepka's name gets announced, it's not as shocking to us. It's shocking to me that he would do this just be, because, he, I don't know. I just kind of expected him to be better than that. I don't know why. I don't know why I expect any of these guys to be better than that. But I think so many guys are probably looking around at the landscape of things and being like, $100 plus million guaranteed that I could get, and I'm not even going to be the one to get the most ire from the public. Not a bad not a bad deal. And especially if you're Brooks Kepka and you've been injured for the better part of the last three years. If, if you're looking at these injuries and saying, you know what, I'm probably not going to get any better, so... It doesn't matter how I perform if I go to live. I'm still going to get the money. You might look at it that way, Matthew. And I mean, I just keep going back to John uh, John Rom's comments. I mean, he, he, not just his comment where he said, you know, is $100 million going to really change my lifestyle that much? No. But also where he said that I don't want to play in a, you know, a shotgun start against, a, you know, essentially he didn't say a bunch of nobodies, but that's essentially what you're coming down to is half the field is going to be Pete 
people no one's heard of who are just you know who are just there because of the money they need to fill out the numbers. And so I'm just surprised that a guy like him, a, a high level competitor like him, is going just for the format as well. And so I, it still shocks me a little bit when big name golfers like this are making this decision, especially guys like Brooks who have who have the major wins. And obviously I know him, him playing in the majors isn't going to be affected, but overall, just he has the pedigree, and I'm surprised he's making the jump. Yeah. Now, if Dustin Dustin Johnson got what 125 million guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Where is Brooks Kepka if that's the line? He's between DJ and Phil, right? He's got to be I would at imagine. 150, 175, I, I would think. He's he's right there in the world golf rankings that's comparable with DJ. And the fact that it took him this long to agree, I would imagine that he might have needed a little bit more incentive, incentivizing to go, mm-hmm. which is probably in the form of money. So I would be surprised if he got less than Dustin Johnson. And by the way, just to go through the injuries for Kepka, 2017, uh, partially torn tendon in his left wrist. 2019, a stem cell procedure on his left knee, uh, eventually diagnosed with a torn labrum in his hip. So he had to have both knee treatments and hip surgery. Uh, he re-aggravated the injury after slept, slipping on wet concrete, uh, and so had to have another surgery on the knee. In 2020, he withdrew from the FedEx Cup playoffs near the end of the season to allow the injuries to heal, and uh, then most recently withdrew from the Players' Championship due, due to a strained right knee, and then this year had uh, wrist and knee injuries. So uh, since 2017, he's had to deal with a lot. So might not be a bad idea for him to take the guaranteed money rather than, and he's got more than he could ever spend, but if, if he feels like, okay, I'm not going to be good enough, I'm not going to be healthy enough to consistently win on tour anymore, I might as well take the money. Yeah, I can understand that logic. Now, if you're another guy on the PGA that ha- has been approached by Liv and maybe you didn't want to face the backlash or you had initially said no, and you're looking at some of these big names that have now defected, it's not just Phil, who even the streets say have a gambling problem. It's Dustin Johnson. It's Bryson DeChambeau. It's Brooks Kepka, It's Patrick Reed. Are Do you think some of these other guys might be reconsidering? And might be thinking, I don't know, it's a lot of money and a lot of my peers yep. are saying yes. Should I reconsider? Are they calling up their agent saying, what What was the offer? How much money guaranteed? It, it comes down to how they feel about legacy. Obviously, a guy like Rory McIlroy is concerned about legacy and his place in history. And if you're a young golfer and you grew up watching Tiger Woods, if you're Colin Morikawa, if you're Matthew Fitzpatrick who won this weekend, if you're one of those guys... You, those guys throughout the course of the weekend, the guys atop the leaderboard said, I want to play against the best and I want to beat the best. Well, that's still going to be the PGA Tour. And you're, you can still make a lot of money. Like we mentioned last week, the number 125 guy, 124, I guess, on the PGA Tour last year made a million dollars. And you've never heard of him before. A mm-hmm. million dollars a year is not bad. No. And I, I don't know love if, it. I don't know if the number one, for example, I, I wonder what Chase Kepka, Brooks' brother, is getting from live, but he probably also knows I'm not going to be as good as Colin Morikawa, so I'm mm-hmm. going to take the guaranteed money here. Do you think that sentiments would change if Tiger Woods defected to live? And now, listen, we know he doesn't need the money. Mm-hmm. We know he's already gone through a public lashing and is probably uh, not inclined to want to sign up for something like that again. But if they offered him 
a billion dollars. And I know he might have turned that down once. Mm -hmm. And he's seeing so many other guys go. If Tiger Woods, even at this stage in his career, does it, do you think that changes young guys like Colin Morikow? You think that changes their mind? I I think that Tiger would be... He he would be so roundly criticized. Uh, it would be the worst thing for it, it would be worse for his image than anything else that he's ever gone through. So I, number one, I don't think it'd be good for him, and I don't think that at this stage of his career, because they all know that Tiger probably won't play again. Everybody would know that he would be leaving not for legacy reasons, but only for the money because he can't play anymore and he doesn't need money like no. that. So yeah, I I understand that, but I just I I wonder. He's kind of the tone setter in golf, even mm-hmm. when he's not participating. Yes. <laughs> Tiger Woods is still the most prominent voice in golf. And if he were to co-sign on this, it might shift some opinions. And he he can't play 72 holes. He might be able to play 54. And They don't need him to really play much. He could play nine, and people would still care because it's Tiger Woods. More people would tune in to watch Live mm-hmm. because they would want to see Tiger than any of these other guys combined. But I wonder... See, eventually that gets old when a guy can't play anymore. It, it happened with Arnold. It happened with Jack. And it it gets kind of sad. But actually. from an eyeballs perspective, more people would still tune initially, in. Yeah, the, initially, yeah. Initially they to would. Week. I think even persisting. I just, I think that he is the tastemaker and the conversation point in golf even now. But if he's shooting 82, I don't think that's pe- how people want to uh, remember Tiger Woods. And that's what he's been lately. That's who he is. He's he's not a guy that's, well, he, he's not an 82, but he, he shot 80, I think, in his last round. So I don't know if people want to tune in to watch that Tiger Woods. I don't know. I still think they would. I, I see the way yeah. that maybe he, initially that he but, changes ratings and, and moves the needle. Yeah. So I would be sh- absolutely stunned if he would go, though. Oh, I don't think he would. But yeah. I just wonder how that might change other guys' opinions on whether or not they should defect also. That's Michelle. I'm Randy Brooks Kepka to the Live Tour. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Michelle Smallman and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker, and it's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle, according to Kevin O'Connor of the Ringers, the Lakers want to trade Russell Westbrook. No surprise there. <laughs> yeah. The player they want to replace him with is St. Louis's own Bradley Beal. They'd like to make a deal with the Wizards and get Bradley Beal. Take it or leave it. You would like to see Bradley Beal with LeBron, AD, and the Lakers. I'm taking it, taking it, taking it. Even though I don't like L.A., I don't like the Lakers, I think it's a hot mess over there. It can be more of a hot mess than what he's endured in Washington. And I don't think he's going to win there. Um, I think he'll have a better shot at winning with the Lakers, even though I don't think that Lakers team is built to win Mm -hmm. because I don't think Anthony Davis will stay healthy. But it's a better shot for him to win, and I want the best for Bradley Beal. Now, according to Kevin O'Connor, not just the Lakers, but Miami will be interested, Ooh. as will 
the Boston Celtics. Oh, stop. <laughs> stop right now. <laughs> yep. KOC, KOC's a Boston guy, too. Wouldn't that be fun? He's not throwing that out for just I you know, would and love it. Tatum yeah. and Beal together. The how, St. How Louis duo. Oh my gosh, they would love it too. Yeah, right. Can you imagine? We would they would have some sort of a um a patented play and we could name it the arch or you know, whatever yeah, it is. Idea. Oh, that would be so fun. Nelly would be courtside yeah. every game. Oh, he yeah, he would love that. To support the two St. Yeah, Louis guys. Would. That would be awesome. They'd have to have a preseason game here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Think the NBA would actually promote it? No. Okay. If they're together, though, you know, they're on long charter flights, they're sitting together, they could be mm-hmm. cooking up a way to get St. Louis an NBA team. I could just see them yeah. sitting in the back of the plane. Everybody else is playing cards. They're relaxing. Those two are, are making a list of all the high-powered people they know. Where would the team play? What would the name be? Who can we call to get the funding? Let's get Adam Silver on the line. Tell him St. Louis is the best sports town in mm-hmm. America. I could just see those two getting their brain powers working and uh, getting us an NBA team. So I'm all for it. Yeah. By the way, Matthew, I think Bradley Beal would be a good fit wherever. But I don't think he's what the Celtics need. I mean, if you're not going to get a pure, pure point guard, you're just going to say, you know, Beal's kind of another guy who, you know, he's never going to be the number one ball handler, but he can get you five, six assists pretty efficiently, you know, as a, as a good secondary ball handler in the pick and roll and things like that. So you just spread it out between Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. Maybe you never go with like that pure number one, but I mean, that was also kind of why they lost in the finals. So yeah, maybe so, you want to go maybe, against yeah, that. That'd be like the the late '90s Bulls. They didn't really have a point guard once B.J. Armstrong was gone, so they could, you could do that. Would also love him to, to see him go to Miami. If yeah. he can't be with Wouldn't Jason be Tatum, he, they're about a piece he, away. That would be unreal. He and Jimmy Butler together. So what you're saying you're saying if you have a six five shooting guard who can pass the ball and a six eight you know super forward, you don't really need a, a true point guard. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I, I feel like <laughs> right, I feel like the Celtics could make that happen. <laughs> So we know that there's been a lot of issues and consternation with airlines recently. Airlines have been canceling flights left and right. People are stranded. They can't get home. They can't get to their destinations. There's a lot of money being lost and people are furious. Well, leave it to Chris Mad Dog Russo to air out his frustrations with Delta over a missed flight by his son. Take a listen. We'll get Jason in Madison, Wisconsin. And speaking of Madison, Colin Russo did not get home this weekend. So I got a burr up my fanny on Delta Airlines. Delta for the birds. You, the airline should be embarrassed. I'm getting off the deep end here, but the airline should be embarrassed that all of America couldn't fly anywhere for the last three or four days. 22% of flights canceled on Thursday, 18% of flights canceled on Friday. Hey, Delta, I don't need an apology to NBC. You know, your job is to make sure you get a plane to Madison, Wisconsin, and get my kid home for Father's Day weekend. Go ahead, Jay. <laughs> take it or leave it. He really stuck the landing on that one. <laughs> I will absolutely take that. Go ahead, Jay. The best. That was beautiful. For Father's Day weekend. Honestly, if you worked in customer service at Delta and you you picked up a random line seven or whatever that was coming in, and that's who you get on the other end, Mad Dog Russo, I would do everything in my power to get the pilot on the line and yeah. be like, we got to get his son home for Father's Day weekend. Yeah. The best part of any Russo or, for that matter, Francesa clip is when they will go on these, you know, crazy tangents like that. They'll have a pause and then they'll hit, they'll stick the landing with that every time. Oh, we're going to Mike in Saskatchewan. Mike, what are you doing today? Like they'll like, mm-hmm. 30 second rant, pause, 
perfect reset yeah. right to a caller every time. It's robotic right. and perfect. Yeah. Every It's never not hilarious. And if you're traveling for the fourth drive, oh, Memorial not, Day was I'm a not, disaster. I'm not. I'm nervous. Yeah, you should be. Memorial Day was I'm a nervous. disaster. Father's Day. They really want to stick it to America during the holidays. Great. Just saying. Great. Yes. No, I'm very concerned about it. I'm be. concerned. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I'm concerned about our uh, Canton trip. Both of my flights are direct, uh, which is nice because mm-hmm. if you have connecting flights, that's more opportunities mm-hmm. for a flight to get canceled. But the past two times I've flown, I had been able to take off, but both times I was stuck on the runway for, for many hours. Oh, no. You don't want me on a plane. Uh, there, there might be a hole in the wall of the plane. <laughs> oh, full rage blackout. Yep, big time. The last time when I was sitting there on the runway, there was a person that kept getting up from their seat and going to the cockpit and demanding answers. And I could never be so bold to do it, but I also appreciated the person that was demanding mm-hmm. answers. And I was like, let us know what they say. <laughs> from my seat from like 19B, I was like, let them know. Let us know what they say. <laughs> All right, what do we got on the text line, Matthew? Take it or leave it. Army has Tarasenko and Scandella off the roster by the end of July. Lie. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it too. Is it the time frame or the players or what is, what is vexing you? Yeah, For me, it's, it's the, the contracts. And especially the Scandelic contract. Correct. Yeah, that's fair. Take it or leave it. The current Cardinals team has at least six active players that will wear a red jacket one day. Okay. So we got the three obvious ones. Albert, Wayno, mm-hmm. Yachty. Bang, bang, bang. Um, Arenado, Goldschmidt. Goldie, Arenado. Who would be number six? Potentially Flaherty? Flaherty, Oviedo. You know who I'm going to throw in there? What about Tommy Edmond? Palante. That's a good idea. He seems yeah. like somebody that is it could be with the Cardinals for a really long time. He's a winning player. Gold Glover. Mm-hmm. He's the type of guy St. Louis loves. He's right. versatile. He's athletic. He cares about the community. Yeah, that's a good call. I mean, with, I the, like Tommy with the DH, Nolan Gorman's going to have a 15-year career. Oh, yeah. oh we go. forgot about Brendan Donovan. I mean, I mean, Brendan Donovan, too. Dining <laughs> <laughs> baseball. Dining yeah, baseball is for he, sure going to be a lost his, Hall of uh, lost his last night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a rare rookie mistake. Yeah. Unfortunate. <laughs> like five, they got like four or five rookies. Just one yeah. of them's got to, and young players, just one of them's got to turn into a, a Cardinals Hall of Famer, and then, and, and then there's the sixth. They're, they're fine. We got it. That was a great one. Take it or leave it, Tory Krug is a trade chip for the Blues this offseason. I'm going to, I'll take that. I'll, I'll say potential. Say, I'll, I'll say that really? his name will be discussed. Where gonna, wow. Where are you going to get a top left shot defenseman? Number 48. Just replace number 47 with number 48. Okay. And Mikkel is going to be here. Yeah, that's fair. That seems like a, I mean, uh, I, let's go to another one here. That's somewhere a, that's the Blues a, are going to have to open up cap space. You're, you're right, and that's a, that's a good well. point. You're mentioning, you know, some young players coming up. Take it or leave it. If Dakota Joshua is one of the answers, Dakota Joshua will be one of the answers for the fourth line of the Blues next year. I'm going to leave that. Uh, I don't think that he's definitive. I think Torpchenko is definitive Bingo. as a fourth line guy. That's I could where see, my mind went. Yeah, I, I could see neighbors being a fourth line guy. Uh, I could actually see Bull Duke coming up and doing some work on the fourth line. And there are people on the top three lines. You could always move Barbashev back down. So I don't see necessarily Dakota Joshua as a 70-72 game guy on that fourth line. Thank you, Matthew. Do you see, would you see Jake Neighbors as just a fourth liner? No. he's. In fact, they envision him as a top nine guy. But it's all going to depend upon what happens with Tarasenko. 
because you really do have your your top nine in place. But there's a lot of moving parts here during the offseason. One more because we didn't get to talk about the bullpen. Take it or leave it. The cards get mad bum and they strengthen the bullpen by moving Polante back into it. Well, he's certainly that guy that they would use in that mm-hmm. role that has been reassigned to be a, an SP. So Mad Bum could alleviate that. But I would like to see them maybe get a starting pitcher and a middle reliever. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah, you, maybe get more than you, one acquisition. You, you get, working get two here. guys from the the Diamondbacks. Get both Mad Bum and Ian Kennedy, who's not having a great year, but he's perfect for what the Cardinals are looking for in the sixth inning. And then all of a sudden, you've, you've got basically five guys that you don't trust right now. now. Then you cut that down to three, and hopefully, what a horrible offseason for Mo. I mean, Michelle, look at this offseason for, for Mo. And we're Mo fans. We we like John Mozela. Yes, we do. But Big fans. if you look at his offseason, let me get to it here. Okay, the, the Cardinals during the offseason acquired Mats, Verhagen, Whitgren, Packy, Aaron Brooks, and Dickerson. That was their offseason. Matt's better get healthy and effective quick yeah. and, to balance everything yeah. else out. And, and those replaced guys from last year's team that aren't even in Major League Baseball. Give me that list one more time. The the list for the offseason acquisitions. Yeah. I feel like everybody needs to pause and pay attention Mats, to this. Okay. Verhagen, mm. Whitgren, mm. Packy Naughton, Aaron Brooks, Corey Dickerson. And last year on the team, John Lester, not Major League Baseball anymore. Jay Happ, not in Major League Baseball anymore. Andrew Miller, not in Major League Baseball anymore. Wade LeBlanc, not in Major League Baseball anymore. KK, not in Major League Baseball anymore. Justin Miller, not in Major League Baseball anymore. Wow. And those are people that were there at the end of the year. So, not great. So, yeah, it's bad. really bad offseason for Mo. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, speaking of the Cardinals, they need to take advantage of some of the injuries that are facing the Brewers right now. That's next with our fresh take on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and the Cardinals got dominated by Corbin Burns in the back end of the Milwaukee bullpen last night. But Michelle, tonight the Cardinals will send Jack Flaherty. He'll be opposed by Chichi Gonzalez. That's a 7-10 game. And by the way, that's an FS1 game in addition to a Bally game tonight. And then on Wednesday, Wayno will go tomorrow. Wayno against Eric Lauer. And then for Thursday's contest, it'll be a 110 game. The Cardinals will send Dakota Hudson against Jason Alexander, aka Costanza. So, <laughs> a favorable matchups for the Cardinals. Yeah, they have to take advantage of those favorable matchups and some of the injuries that Milwaukee is dealing with right now. Yeah, they are uh, enduring a lot of injuries, and the Cardinals need to really pounce and take advantage and feast while they can. Last night with Corbin Burns on the bump, you knew that it was going to be a tall task for the Cardinals. He's the reigning Cy Young Award winner, and he's absolutely dominant. And then when he's followed up by Devin Williams and Josh Hader, who's returning, it's going to be a tough task. So I wasn't surprised that the outcome was what it was. I was more pleasantly surprised that Miles Michaelis was able to go pitch for pitch with Corbin Burns, except for that one mistake, really. But 
I didn't really expect the Cardinals to win last night, Randy. If we're being mm-hmm. honest, when I was looking at the series, this was not one that I circled as a guaranteed win for the Cardinals. Now, the next three, they should handle their business. And one of the things the Cardinals need to do, and they were fortunate last night to get one and two-thirds out of Johan Oviedo, because I really don't have much confidence when he comes into a game. That being said... The Cardinals, despite getting that good work out of him, they need to work on their bullpen. When you go back to Friday night, Wayno leaves the game after six and a third. TJ McFarland comes in and allows a couple of runs on three hits, and his ERA expands to 7.71. The Cardinals were fine because they won 11 to 2 on Saturday, but then kind of a microcosm, Michelle, of the season. After the Friday night loss, the Cardinals' bullpen gives it up again. In Sunday's game, after Palante allows only two runs in five and two-thirds, Cabrera comes in, and Cabrera's been great. So if he allows a run, you can deal with it. But then Verhagen comes in and allows three runs in an inning and a third, and the Cardinals wind up losing by a run in that game. And when you have to count on, and you really can't count on, TJ McFarland and Drew Verhagen, that's an issue. And during Take It or Leave It, somebody brought up the idea of bringing in a mad bum. And moving Palante back to the bullpen would be huge. But you have to have a starter to replace him. And maybe Steven Matz will be that guy. He's throwing, at least right now, but maybe he won't. I still think that the Cardinals need to get Palante back in the pen by virtue of getting another starting pitcher, and they need another relief pitcher as well. They really need to fortify that bullpen because I'll ask you, when anybody aside from Cabrera or Gallegos or Helsley comes into the game, do you feel good? No, I'm not confident. I'm not. And when your manager, Ali Marmol, is essentially saying the same thing, making pointed comments about how those guys need to be better, I think that the front office is listening, or they should be listening. Right. And I don't, and BT brought this up yesterday in uh, on the fast lane. What's the deal with. Uh, Jake Woodford. I mean, I've been it, wondering that all season. They, they, they don't like his slider, but he's producing. The results have been there. Yeah. So I would rather him work on that slider in real time up here right. while still getting the results than being sent down to work on something like that. Yeah, because when you have to bring a McFarland, he's got a 7.43. Wickren has a 5.40 ERA. Verhagen has a 5.95. You just cannot keep trotting those guys out there and expect that they're all of a sudden going to turn good. It's We're a third of the way into the season now. It's been a long time since Nick Wickren has been a good major league pitcher. It's been a long time since Drew Verhagen has been, if he ever has been, a, a good major league pitcher. And T.J. McFarland had his run last year. He was terrific. But what the Cardinals have right now is just not good enough. And another guy we need to point out is Ron Doan, who came up and gave the Cardinals five scoreless innings of relief earlier this season. And I know they they see him as a starter, but at some point, you need to fix what's happening up here at the major league level. And maybe Rondone would be a better answer than Drew Verhagen. I went back just to quickly Google the quote, and it was that Ali Marmol said that Jake Woodford's demotion quote wasn't a performance-related move. That's the exact wording. But if you're looking at your options right now, if you're Ali Marmol, I don't know how Jake Woodford wouldn't be among the best options you have. He would have to be, at least in terms of inspiring confidence in the people on that bench that are the most important, and in us, I think that he would be way better than what the Cardinals are. At least I would feel better about him than what the Cardinals are trotting out there. Yeah. In in the majors this year, uh, 
Woodford in nine games has a 3.32 ERA. Has not been great lately at Memphis, but he's got a he can provide you a six ERA up here. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the quote. He said, Ali Marmol said this about Jake Woodford getting sit down. He absolutely should be disappointed. He's performed well. Every time we've given him a shot, he's done what we called him to do. It was a tough decision. And that is today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we have a perfect guy to describe what's going on with Jake Woodford. The Cardinal Director of Player Development, Gary LaRock, joins Carriker and Smallman. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joining us now is the Cardinals Director of Player Development, Gary LaRock. Gary, thanks so much for taking some time with us this morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Well, let's start with this. You have to be thrilled with the young players the Cardinals have called up that are producing at a really strong level here in 2022. Well, we're pleased for uh, the opportunity that, you know, it's it's always a challenge to get a player through the system and make him realize that once he gets the opportunity to get to the big leagues, it's not just about making it, it's about contributing. And that's what they've done. And they have to continue to do because, uh, as you know, in the major leagues, they keep making adjustments and, and the players have to make adjustments alongside of that. So we're pleased for their work and what they've done to get there and and uh, now anxious to see as they uh, help us out in the big leagues. Gary, a player that's been really exciting for the Cardinals and that a lot of fans have fallen in love with is Brendan Donovan. What was your read on Donovan as he was making his way through the system? Well, it was uh, really, um, uh, from a development standpoint, wonderful to watch his progress. As everyone knows, uh, just over a year ago, he was in Peoria and. We, uh, we made sure defensively he stayed at second base uh, at the time because we knew he could play some third base having come out of college and multiple positions were starting to fall in order and he could get into the outfield. And so we, uh, we made sure he had plenty of second base time and then all of a sudden the hit tool, his offensive production, kept uh, he kept producing at the levels and he moved very quickly, as you know, and put that alongside of his great makeup and all of a sudden you had somebody coming through the system at a fast pace to help us in the big leagues. Gary, you mentioned that the adjustments that the major leagues make on hitters, but just changing in general. And it seems to me like there's so much more versatility necessary now at the major league level. At the minor league level, do you encourage that? A guy like uh, like Brendan, who has so many gloves in his bag and came up here ready to be able to play both corner outfield and every infield position? We really have over the years, uh, particularly I'd say in the last five to six years, we've made a real effort with our players that if they weren't uh, necessarily just a one-position uh, player defensively, that we would give them the opportunity to create that versatility to help their value. And they've all handled it well. Uh, all our clubs in the minor leagues have that flexibility, and uh, the players have done a good job with it. Gary, we, we recently spoke to Randy Flores, and we asked him this question, and I want to pose the same thing to you. Is there a specific philosophy organizationally for the Cardinals when it comes to drafting and developing players? Well, we've seen, as you know, in my years as the minor league director, uh, we stuck with a plan. We've uh, been very successful over the years uh, at different moments with uh, the pitching 
the drafting of our pitchers, um, as you look back to the 2012, 13, 14, and then it shifted somewhere. Some of the regulars that you've seen over the years that have come into the fold. You know, it's interesting having been uh, a scouting director, you only have one shot per round for the most part. And in reality, uh, that one pick, uh, it's a pitcher or regular. And in our case, we've, uh, we've been able to put kids through the system that have handled it well and moved to the big leagues and our top-end prospects have all been productive. Gary Larock, the Cardinal Director of Player Development, with us on 101 ESPN. I have, I have a question about philosophy, too, because I see when Flaherty is going well, he's given you guys seven innings. Dakota Hudson has been going seven innings lately. Philosophically, right now, what do you want a starter to be able to do from an innings or pitches standpoint at the minor league level? Well, we do monitor workloads uh, closely. We want to make sure that our pitchers from year to year have the right buildup. As you know, many of them do get the opportunity to be in relief, but once once we identify uh, pitchers at a younger level of uh, being potential starters, we give them that opportunity to build up, and we just make sure their workloads are right in order to prevent injury and just keep everybody on track. We, We are still in that uh phase right now where we have a number of uh, younger pitchers who are doing a good job i can point to gordon graceffo and michael mcgreevy in in double a right now and and then you go up into triple a and the pitchers who are there that they they need some time to develop they're getting it and uh you add to that some of the the prospects that we've put into the fold in terms of offensive players regular players and uh we're pleased clearly with the draft and uh, philosophy wise it continues for starting pitching and uh, Gary, you mentioned those two pitchers. If ever there was a time to go visit Springfield and see some Cardinal prospects, this is it, isn't it? It's a, a fun club. Uh, Jordan Walker plays third base. Mason Wynn plays shortstop. Uh, Moises Gomez has had a good stretch to start the year out, uh, who we acquired, and then, of course, the pitching. So uh, we're pleased, and uh, we've, we hope we've positioned our players for success. And when they get to the big leagues, we uh, we really work hard. They work very hard with the major league staff to contribute. Gary, outside of Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, some names that Cardinal fans might really be paying attention to, who are some other prospects in the system that really excite you that Cardinals fans should be keeping an eye on? Well, you hear a lot about, and, and I, I always say this about when our prospects come up, um, I'm bound to leave someone out because as a farm director, you, you tend to, uh, support all the players you have. We have 160 players in our system, and and uh, they're doing a very good job. Our clubs have bounced back over the course of the last year. We we had a tough year last year because we were so young. We knew that. We understood it. But, you know, when you look into the AAA level right now, and we've been very fortunate. Uh, Alec Burleson's done a very good job. That club started out. Uh, with Nolan Gorman at, uh, in the infield and Alec Burleson in the outfield and uh, Yvonne Herrera behind the plate. And you see the how it's evolved in terms of development. And uh, Alec's done a nice job there as, as regulars would go. So we have players coming through the system. We, we keep have you know, that's our responsibility, make sure that we have waves of players. We have some players in the lower levels that are exciting as well. And we're looking forward to uh, seeing the progress as we move forward. Uh, Gary, we were talking last segment about Jake Woodford. How is his progress since he was sent back to Memphis? Uh, he's got, a, you know, he's got a real uh, uh, strong commitment to making sure that whether he's in Memphis pitching, 
he's preparing for the big leagues or if he's in the big leagues that he's contributing. He's got a great makeup. He's always worked hard at this. Uh, he's come through our system. He knows the expectations. We all root for him, and he's part of a group of pitchers, as you know. We moved up some other pitchers, like the Zach Thompsons of the world, who've gone up and done a good job as well. We have some pitchers behind those guys that are pushing the envelope, so to speak, and we're excited about it, and uh, they just need time. And Gary, I want to go back to something you said when you talked about the rough year last year because you were so young. And I I tell everybody on the air here, the Cardinals gave up 12 minor leaguers, essentially, to get Ozuna, uh, Goldie, and Arenado. And I I think I would trade all 12 right now for Goldie and Arenado. But was that part of why you guys struggled last year is because so many prospects have been sent out the door to bring in these stars? Well, you know, every time we move a player, whether it be in a a trade situation or it goes to the big leagues, movement meaning upwards, what it really does for us in development is create the next opportunity. And we have to make sure the player understands here it is. It's, It's in front of you now. So I can remember back when Yvonne Herrera was a rookie league catcher and we took him at the end of the year. And for two weeks, he went to Springfield in double A to see that level and understand what he was battling to get to, you know, that, uh, that opportunity for a player to see what he's trying to uh, reach. And then inevitably the big leagues, those are the things that help drive players. We've always had that good fortune of, as we've moved players to how you're speaking in terms of a trade in this case, or to the big leagues, the, the players who replace them, they're the ones that have to step in and get it done at each level. So it's an opportunity. And when you've been in the scouting process, as long as I have, Uh, And I really appreciate what the scouts do, what Randy and everybody has done. What it does is provide the next opportunity, even in the minor leagues. Gary, when Ali Marmol was appointed manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, nobody who really knew him or had worked with him seemed that surprised. It felt like he was destined to be a major league manager. During his time being a manager in the Cardinals farm system, what did you observe from Ali that led you to believe that he would eventually be this guy? Well, there was no doubt in my mind that, uh, number one, is Ali had a passion for the game in terms of as a manager, as a mentor of players, as a teacher. Uh, He's extremely competitive. Uh, He's got great personality. Uh, He was actually here, and and I get the opportunity, I have the opportunity of being here in Jupiter and seeing our managers here on the Palm Beach Club, and Ali was here, and he did a great job with it. And, of course, he had come from the lower levels, so his foundation was set. You add to that that great desire and that wonderful demeanor. Players have a lot of respect for him. Uh, it was wonder- it's been wonderful to watch. I mean, when I think back over the last 10, 12 years, uh, Ron, uh, Pop Warner, you got Brian Eversgird, you have a number of coaches. Willie McGee was here in the minor league system, and, of course, Ollie. And then Skip Schumacher was a, a player for us. So when you see that continuity, uh, it really is helpful. Everybody gets on the same page. Hey, Gary, I want to circle back to a couple of players that we've already mentioned. Number one, Jordan Walker. It would seem, at least from my vantage point here, that it'll be tough for him to beat out the Cardinal third baseman in the next couple of years. What are you going to do about that? Will you switch positions with Walker? Well, I think right now the biggest thing is he's adjusted well and quickly to the A level. So there's no urgency to do something immediately today as we speak. He's playing well. He's a great athlete. He's got uh, wonderful desire. He, he went to the double-A level. And one thing he's done at every level he's gone to, 
Last year he started when he was in uh, Palm Beach. He did well right away. He went to Peoria. He adjusted to the league level right away. He goes to Springfield and he adjusted right away. He's a young man who knows how to adjust. So having him at third base is, uh, right now is good for us. Uh, he's handled it extremely well. He's a very good athlete, and he'll adjust again as needed. And then with his shortstop, Mason Wynn, are the Cardinals locked in on him as a shortstop now, or is there still a chance that he could find himself on the mound? Last year we tried uh, towards the end of the year to give him uh, you know, a little bit of work on the mound. And what we, and in talking with Mason, I know myself and our conversations, uh, at the time heading into spring training, we said, let's make sure we do this right with the shortstop play. He's got a lot of talent defensively. He's hitting at the double-A level. Uh, it's exciting to see that combination. We're going to continue that right now. Uh, so we really haven't talked in any great detail about him doing what he did last year, which was explore getting some work in on the mound. We're actually extremely pleased with what he's done defensively. And the players will tell us along the way with how they perform, and he's certainly doing a great job in Springfield. Well, it's great to sit here in St. Louis and see the fruits of your labor and the great work that the Cardinal system continues to do. And I know we'll see more guys coming up as as time goes by. Gary, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care. That is Gary Lorock. He's the Cardinals Director of Player Development here in St. Louis for the Cardinals, joining Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. They just continue to find draft and develop talent that we're seeing at the major league level. It's really remarkable. And Jordan Walker is going to be a star. He's just another guy. Friend of the show, Jordan yeah, Walker. Jordan Walker, absolutely. But you think about Walker and Libertor, who can be a middle to back end of the rotation guy. He mentioned Herrera, who we'll get an opportunity to see over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, the kid, uh, Alec Burleson, that he mentioned, the second round pick from a few years ago, is having a fantastic year down at uh, AAA. As a matter of fact, I can give you his numbers right now. Burleson hitting 328, 14 homers, 50 RBIs with a 930 OPS down at Memphis right now. He's a, a left-handed power hitter, and the Cardinals are going to have to find a place for him, too. How many guys on the roster right now, or at least that start on a regular basis, are guys that came through the system? I believe it's 17, or no, 18 of 26 right now. Yeah. The, mo- the most in Major League Baseball. Because I was thinking just outside of Goldie and Arenado, almost everybody that you see on a regular basis has been drafted and yeah. developed by the Cardinals. It's amazing. They, they've done a really good job. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight. Am I defending or did we win the fight yesterday? You're defending. Okay. I'll defend. No problem. It wasn't me. Was curbs, that's, all, huh? that's all I'm saying. We okay. did rock, paper, scissors during okay. the commercial break, and I beat him, and then he had to uh, take on our listener in the fight. Yeah, he, he, okay. he, it ended up being curbs in a fight without any hockey questions. And okay. Randy, you would have hated the tiebreaker question yesterday so much. Was I was it? glad that you were out because Do I you just... recall off the top of your head? It was, when was the first women's golf tournament? Ever organized. Ever organized. Yes, thank you, Matt. I am going, and this is closest to the pin. It was closest to the pin, of course. I am going to go, well, you had Babe Zaharias. I'm going to go 1948. You were way off. What was it? 1811, actually. Really? <laughs> In Scotland. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Some very some, some very motivated women were like, you're not, did, you're, not, you're not keeping us out for this anymore. Did not see that. But coming. I can yeah. imagine, though, your victory hanging to, in the balance and me reading that tiebreaker question, you yeah. wouldn't have been thrilled. Can, can I just say, when I was asked that tri- trivia question by somebody else, my guess was 1835. 
Wow, pretty good. So when did the LPGA start? Because that's really where it started. Oh, that's a good question, actually. I don't know that. Uh, well, let's do the Google here. When did the LPGA start? 1950. I said what? 1948. That's good. That's a. That's. I mean, you. you're you're playing off the facts you, you have. That's, that's using context. You could. Have, you would have been an angry mega mind yesterday that's had you lost that's why I put on it that. There. It, none of the other stuff really matters until the LPGA got started. There you then go. We had the LPGA Michelob Classic here in St. Louis. That was great. Those were the days. Well, you need to come in and exert your power, Randy. Oh, you need to get best. us back on track so I far know. this week. Okay. Just win, baby. Oh, oh, he's calling a shot. He's calling a shot. I don't know about that. He, he just, told me I needed to do that, right? He called a shot. Can Let's he see. actually get it done? That's next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. That's right, Randy Carricker is back. He's back in the driver's seat. Megamind is back doing the fight. He's playing golf yesterday. And Chris Kerber and I did a little rock, paper, scissors to determine which one of us would have to suffer through the fight. I beat Kerbs in rock, paper, scissors. Our listener, Randy, beat Kerbs at the fight. That's the summation of yesterday. So Randy is back again to to challenge Randy Carricker. So we have Randy the listener and Randy Carricker in the fight today. Good morning, Randy. How you doing? I'm doing well. Hey, it's good to know that I would have won the tiebreaker yesterday. That's right. You would have. I might not have gotten there with Randy were there, but I'm two and two against him over the years. So let's see what happens. Looking forward to it. All right, Randy. Love your energy. Here we go. Good luck to you. Question number one. Thank you. You got it. Question number one. Who won the World Series MVP and the Cardinals 1982 title? Was it Ozzie Smith, Daryl Porter, or Ken Oprichfell? Daryl Porter. Which MLB expansion team has the Cardinals to thank for their first loss in the club's history? Is that the Milwaukee Brewers, the Kansas City Royals, or the New York Mets? Could you say that again? Which MLB expansion team has the Cardinals to thank to thank for their first loss in the club's history? The Brewers, the Royals, or the Mets? I'll say the Mets. Randy, happy birthday to Ricky Williams. The Saints used all six of their draft picks in the 99 draft to trade up for the Texas running back. What team did they make that trade with? Was it the Baltimore Ravens, the Arizona Cardinals, or at the time, the Washington Redskins? Could you give me the options again? Sure. The Ravens, the Cardinals, or the Redskins? The Redskins. And happy birthday to Roman Turek. In the first round of the 2000 playoffs, which San Jose Shark scored from center ice in Game 7 in what would be the series-deciding goal? Was that Owen Owen Nolan, Patrick Marlowe, or Jeff Friesen? Patrick Marlowe. We have confirmed the score. We are waving in Randy K. You're Randy C, right, Randy? Yes. 
So we got a Randy C and a Randy K. Randy K is snacking. (laughs) What are you snacking on while he's chewing? Protein bar. Oh, a little protein bar. Get your protein in. I love it. He's got a Propel and he's got a, uh, what looks, well, the reason I asked Randy is it looks like a Snickers. No, it's not a Snickers. It's like a uh, Slim 180 protein bar. Oh, Slim 180 protein bar. That looks like a Snickers. Is it masquerading as a Snickers? Tastes really good. Oh, I love that. You know, some of these protein bars, you're walking through the aisle at Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, Deerberg, Schnucks, wherever. And you're like, oh, cookies and cream? Mm. Sounds like a great way for Delicious. me to sneak in some protein and some health. And then you take one bite out of it, and it's like you bit off a piece of chalk. Oh, that's not this. But you know, it's such a yep, gamble because a, a protein bar can either taste really good but have so much sugar in it, you're kind of negating what you're trying to do there. Or it could be really good for you, but tastes like chalk. And I think they make them so that it takes a long time to eat them, too. Very chewy. Yeah, no doubt. Very chewy. Randy, say good morning to Randy. Randy, good morning. Good morning, Randy. How I are you doing? I know you are smart, you're entertaining, you're fun, and it's great to have you with us on the show. It is great to be back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Randy Carricker, are you ready to go? Ready. Try to... Not only defend your title, but dig yourself out of the hole that yeah. Chris Kerber and I put you in. Yesterday. Yeah, you, you <laughs> dug me That's a deep me. one That's here. Our bad, Randy. Ready. That's on me. No worry. Question number one okay. for Megamind. Who won the World Series MVP for the Cardinals in their 1982 title? Um, hmm, who won that? 1982. Oh, come on. Don't make us suffer. We know you know. Was it George Hendrick? <laughs> Was it Joaquin Andujar? What are you doing right now? <laughs> It was uh, number 15, catcher Daryl Porter, the late great Daryl Porter, (laughs) who got TV commercials out of it, by the way. Awesome. He did. Colonial bread. It's the MVP with minerals, vitamins, and protein. Pretty good. Which MLB expansion team has the Cardinals to thank for the first loss in their club's history? Which MLB expansion team? Okay. Um. Well, let's see. I'll because basically the Cardinals would have played everybody, right? Except for the Cubs as expansion teams. So I'll have to do a lifeline. I have no choice. The Milwaukee Brewers, no. the Kansas City Royals, or the New York Mets. Well, the Milwaukee Brewers and Kansas City Royals were both American League teams when they started, so I will have to go with the New York Mets. Happy birthday to Ricky Williams. The Saints used all six of their draft picks and the 99 draft to trade up for the Texas running back. What team did they make that trade with? So they trade up to four from seven. Um, And we had number six. And Washington wound up taking champ Bailey. So I believe that... The Washington Redskins football team commanders were the team that uh, traded that pick and then wound up with Champ Bailey, who was pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Also, the running back before Ricky Williams, pretty good. Adrian James. Yep. Happy he was number four, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Ricky he was, was five. five. Happy birthday to Roman Turk. In the first round of the 2000 playoffs, which San Jose Sharks scored from center ice in game seven and what would be the series' defining goal? Um... Boy, there were some guys in that series that were jerks. 
Uh, I think it was the uh, nemesis of one Barrett Jackman. I think it was Owen Nolan. A battle of Randy's that did not disappoint. One of you got all four correct. Mm. The other got three. You know what? What? I'm going to put my money on a Randy. Matt, (laughs) ring the bell. Still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by High and Dry Foundation Repair, home of the non-commission-based sales force and hassle-free warranty. Just win, baby. He called the shot last segment. He played the just win, baby, before we even went to commercial break, which is a bold move, but not bold if you know you got it, which Randy Carricker does. He gets the jack, gets all four correct. Randy C., you beat Curve yesterday. You took Randy Carricker and you got him on the ropes. You got three correct. Nothing to sneeze at. Great job. Nothing to sneeze at. Thank you very much. Great job, Randy. Thank you. Randy, thank you. Great to have you with us. It was Daryl Porter. He won the World Series MVP for the Cardinals in 1982. 40 years ago. Randy just taunted everyone with that one. Who was the player that you said used to hold the ball a beat before he threw Gary it? Gary Templeton. Gary Tem- Randy Gary Templeton does with that. He was holding the ball for a beat because he knew he could still... When Yeah, he could still throw them up. Uh, the New York Mets are the expansion team that the Cardinals have to thank for the first loss in their club's history. It is Ricky Williams' birthday. Shout out to him. Wonder how he's celebrating. Uh, smoking. Maybe. The Saints use all six of their drafts. By the way, he changed his name. Oh, yeah, that's right. What is his new name? My apologies My apologies to, to him for... Uh, uh, dead, I forgot. Dead, for, my apologies to dead, for dead naming him on that one. We did have a segment on this. You're right. He changed his yeah. name. Uh, we all, we forgot it already. Yeah, is it still Ricky? Er- no. Eric Myron. Eric Myron. That's right. Happy birthday, to Eric Myron. Yep. Happy birthday to the athlete formerly known as Ricky Williams. Yeah, right. Uh, Eric Myron. Good dolphin, by the way. Shout out to the Dolphins. The Saints used all six of their draft picks in '99 to trade up for the Texas running back, and they made that trade with the then Washington Redskins. Then we took Tory, and I was mad. You Shouldn't were mad. I was mad. I wanted him to take Champ Bailey, who's a Hall of Famer. Towards the Hall of Famer, too. Yeah, I, I was be. wrong. Should I was be. wrong because I, I was thinking that you would get Dwayne Bates from Northwestern in the mm. second round. They wound up with Dre Bly. They wound up with a much better receiver-corner combo nice. than I would have taken. Nice. Wasn't it fun when the Rams could draft? DV, man. DV and Charlie Army, they could draft. That's why he's a Hall of Famer. Happy birthday to Roman Turek. In the first round of the 2000 playoffs, it was Owen Nolan who scored from center ice in Game 7 in what would be the series' deciding goal. Randy missed a day. He did not miss a beat. Back on a Tuesday with the Jack. Congrats, Randy. Thank you very much. Coming up, fun things happening over at St. Louis City SC. They'll be playing a year from now. We're going to talk to Matt Seebeck, Chief Experience Officer, about what's going on. And they have a new hire, and we're going to talk to him as well. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Our friends at St. Louis City SC have a lot of fun things happening, and we're going to talk about them right now. Matt Seebeck, the Chief Experience Officer of St. Louis City SC, is with us, along with their Director of Musical Experience. Matt, good to have you with us. How are you doing? Doing well this morning, Randy. Michelle, how are you? Good, and we want to be introduced to Mastermind, who is your Chief 
or your director of musical experience. Mastermind, good to have you with us. Hey, good morning, St. Louis. It is it's an honor. Big honor. Well, it's an honor for us to speak to both of you. We're so excited about all of the developments that are happening over at St. Louis City SC, including this hire. And Matt, I want to start with you. I know that you guys take such great care and you have such intention behind everything that you do because you're really wanting to build this game day experience to tailor it to the St. Louis sports fan. How uh, important is music when you think about what the game day experience will ultimately look like? That's a great question, Michelle. We've, uh, you know, the past two years been building what we view as a just a fully immersive fan experience, one that hits all five senses. So um, you see that really happening in downtown West with the stadium being built. And we have a lot of really cool things up our sleeves. But music is one of those things that, you know, brings energy and passion to game day. And a lot of that will, you know, be organically driven by our supporter group with chants and anthems. But there's also a lot that, you know, leading up to game day or celebrating a win that, you know, we really look to to mastermind to, to curate that comprehensive experience so that, you know, when you leave one of our games from uh, from our stadium, that you're really remembering that, you know, the beats and the, and the music of that day. So we're really excited about it. It sounds great. And Mastermind, you have quite the resume. You're the perfect person for this job because not only do you know the sound of St. Louis, but you cur- you help curate the sound of St. Louis. But for those people who are driving around listening right now that might not be familiar with you or your work, can you give us a little background on what your career has looked like up until this point? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, born and raised in good old St. Louis. And um, I've, been the type of, I've been the type of musician who's been uh Absolutely determined, you know, like, so uh, I, as an artist, I, I would mix, produce, master, re- record all of my music. And um, I really always viewed St. Louis as what was possible, you know. And so <clears throat> throughout the years, we've been able to tour across the country, do shows uh, with Chance to Rappers, festivals and different things of that nature. And um, we, we've been at this for quite some time. And now, um, I, I feel like this moment in particular, where you have an artist who, uh, who's been brewing and moving things within the culture and being able to take that same energy and that same expertise and bring it to a place like SC, it really shows you the power of St. Louis and where we are at and the love that we have and respect. So it's... Uh, Real special moment right here. And uh, Mastermind St. Louis has such a great history in modern music, going back to Chuck Berry, who's really the, the godfather of rock and roll, all the way up now through Metro Boomin, who's winning Grammys. So will it be a, a St. Louis-centric music focus that you have? Absolutely, absolutely. Just like you stated right there, like we have such a wide range of history that is in the city um and till this day we got we got people in here making history um as we speak you know so um in order for us to tell that real story of st louis in order for st louis to feel the heartbeat of one another best believe we're going to have inclusion of all of these different type of elements because it's uh it's, it's time to re-energize the arch it's time to re-energize st louis and get it back to being that gateway you know, we used to have musicians c- coming up down from Mississippi just to come to St. Louis mm-hmm. as a gateway. So, like, I'm, uh, this this is the beginning of, uh, of that platform. This might be a tough question, <laughs> but Mastermind, how would you describe the sound of St. Louis? I know if anybody can answer that mm-hmm. question, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, 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 look. As I describe this sound, what I'm going to state is 
everything outside of the actual music in itself. St. Louis has the sound of you get heart, you get the hustle in St. Louis when you, when you listen to it. You get the spirit of individuals, and I mainly I'm, I'm utilizing those characteristics because we've we've also lived in a city to where we never had to hone to a particular coast to like. Um, identify what is our sound. And I feel like being in the middle of the map, we actually have the ability to, like, you know, represent <clears throat> what this country sounds like, you know, from from the East Coast sounds to the dirty South to to the West. You you literally have the availability to uh, pick and choose. But I feel like St. Louis, is, it's, it's a certain way that we go about doing things. You know, it's a certain way, a certain level of confidence that the people in the Show Me State have. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what I feel like we sound like. Matt Seebeck, when I've been to soccer games, and they, they've been energetic, and I've told people, you don't have to be a soccer lover or a huge soccer fan to have a great time at a soccer game. And it sounds like with this edition, with what you're going to be doing from a, a food standpoint, with the, the fan group that you're going to have, it's going to be an overall, like you say, a, a, an o, a sensory overload experience rather than just a game on a pitch. That's right, yeah. You know, soccer matches are they're, they're communal, um, and, and we really want to amplify that. We want it to be pride-inducing. And, and we think by, you know, anchoring ourselves around those five senses um, and doing things like, like music and showcasing really the makers and doers of the St. Louis community, whether, you know, it's Mastermind and, and what he's curating on the music side. Um, you know, we have a, a, a food program that we're really proud about that we brought in Gerard Kraft. Um, so you're going to see the, these, um, these, these different anchors of St. Louis that we think are worth boasting out and, and puffing our chest up a little bit. So, you know, we want that moment to really be um, a moment of pride for St. Louis to kind of showcase uh, what we're doing here. Matt, when I think of sports, I think of something that galvanizes people. When I think of music, I certainly think that that is a massive connector amongst a ton of different demographics. When you guys are thinking about the game day experience, is that something that is at the forefront of your mind, thinking about finding things that can not only tap into what St. Louis is, but that can really connect people? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we mentioned, you know, soccer is the international game. It is one that is very community driven and music and food and uh, art, architecture, these things that we're choosing to anchor the club in are, uh, there's no, there's really not a coincidence there. It's just because these things are ways to connect groups of people. Uh, it's, it's a way to break down, uh, neighborhoods and lines and barriers. And, um, and so we think, you know, creating a game day experience around, you know, those communal aspects is really important, especially for a region like St. Louis that, that's moving forward. Hey, Matt, last thing from me, you can't just roll this out for your first game. Obviously, Mastermind's going to have uh, an awareness of the sound system and how everything works at the stadium. You're going to have to test out all the foods, right? Are you going to have to practice from now up until next March to make sure that on that first day you have everything perfectly the way you want it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're already we're in stadium already testing things out. We have our you know mobile app that's already out that fans are you know getting used to and, and loving. That'll be a big part of the game day experience. But, um, yeah, bring in bring in Mastermind in and, you know, we, we open our space, uh, the stadium later this year. So we'll have time to really bring in groups of fans, whether it's our you know, 3000 supporters to practice, you know, their chants and anthems, bring Mastermind in to check the sound system. Um, you know, the food experience will be well tested. 
So um, we're excited. We, we have our, you know, our sites aimed for next March is when we officially begin play. Um, but, you know, Mastermind is going to be get, beginning some workshops here in the next couple weeks. And, um, you know, if any listeners want to get involved or have recommendations, um, you know, you can check that out at stlcitysc.com forward slash music to learn more. All right, Matt and Mastermind, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. Congratulations, Master T- Mastermind, and we can't wait to to hear your uh, curated music at uh, at Centene Stadium. Let's do it. I love it. Take care. That is Matt Seebeck, Mastermind from St. Louis City SC. What a great experience that's going to be. It's going to be so fun. I can't wait for the first game at Centene Stadium. It's going to be amazing. But I also love, as Matt mentioned, that Mastermind is going to be hosting these workshops this summer. Uh, Fans can get involved. You can share your favorite emerging STL-made artists and get involved that way. Uh, One more time, that website, because I think there's a lot of people in St. Louis that have great sounds that are musically inclined that might want to get involved in this. It's stlcitysc.com slash music. Sounds great. Can't wait. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, today's big thing. Who from the Cardinals can represent the National League in the All-Star Game? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Nine oh four. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we're going to touch on the All Star Game tomorrow. We wanted to circle back to Brooks Kepka leaving the PGA Tour today to join the Live International Series. So he joins Phil Mickelson. He joins Patrick Reed. He joins uh, Dustin Johnson and and his leave. buddy Bryson. And yeah, he joins his buddy Bryson DeChambeau. And one of the interesting things about this, Michelle, at least as far as I'm concerned, about the Live Tour, is that they have not signed a premier playing well younger healthy golfer brooks kepka has been beat up the last three to five years uh dustin johnson's in his 40s uh bryson DeChambeau has had injuries that that he's had to deal with and these people are going and getting guaranteed money which I don't begrudge them at all, but I wonder how much of the decision process for a guy like Kepka, who appears to have serious uh, chronic knee problems, I wonder how much of his decision is, okay, I don't think I'm going to be healthy enough to play and win on the PGA Tour anymore and win their money, so I'm going to go where the money's guaranteed. And we haven't gotten the exact sum yet for Brooks. I keep checking social media and I haven't seen it just yet, but if Dustin Johnson got $125 million guaranteed, Brooks Kepka, a four-time major winner, I imagine it's right there, if not more. And is he going to earn $125 plus million on the tour for the rest of his life? No. Just in tour earnings? Probably not. And if he is banged up and he knows that this is just a a quick way for him to make a lot of money and not necessarily have to perform, it seems like a lot more guys are considering this, Randy. I think that once Phil Mickelson, Phil Mickelson took most of the heat, but I really think that once Dustin Johnson jumped on board and then one by one, these guys started kind of wedging that door open, 
Mm-hmm. It, it kind of seems like it's broken the dam for all these other guys to consider defecting from the PGA Tour and joining Liv. And ESPN reporting this morning that Abraham Anser, a uh, 31-year-old from Texas, has also decided to join the Live Tour. He was the number 20 ranked player in the world. So PGA Tour is suffering a lot of defections. But I, I wonder, because these players weren't the people that were at the top of the leaderboard at the U.S. Open on Sunday. I wonder how seriously this is going to affect the PGA Tour. I don't, obviously, big names. I mean, Brooks Kepka is he's got a ton of endorsements. So does Bryson DeChambeau. Phil is one of the most popular golfers of all time. But I wonder right now in 2022 going forward if these guys' departures are going to affect what the PGA Tour delivers on a weekly basis. I think it might. And I know golf is in a good place. We, we saw it with the U.S. Open. There is a lot of great athletes and enduring competition. But if Matt Fitzpatrick walked into Deerberg's, how many people would know who Matt Fitzpatrick is? And he won the U.S. Open a couple days ago. Probably not many, nobody, right? Nobody. Nobody. We all know who Phil Mickelson is. Even if you don't know Dustin Johnson from golf, he's very um, around in social mm-hmm. media with Paulina Gretzky. He's more of a a pop culture slash athlete. Same thing with Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau. Their feud was one of the main headlines that got a lot of people interested in slash talking about golf. They're two stars in the game. Whether they're there on the leaderboard to end the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open, a lot of people are aware of them and know who they are. And that's just four names right there that are being taken away from the PGA Tour. And they still have a, a lot of star power, don't get me wrong, but it just seems like in the absence of Tiger Woods, we've been talking a lot about who's going to be the next big name, who's the next big star to absorb that shine that Tiger left behind. Mm-hmm. And you got four guys that that kind of shared a lot of that star power that are now leaving the PGA. If right. I'm the PGA, even though from a competition standpoint, these guys might not be there every Sunday, it's still a lot of money and a lot of eyeballs that they're taking away from my product. And with Kepka, I think he's an outlier because he generally wasn't a participant on the PGA Tour anyway. He's based, he, he said, I only golf when you see me on TV. He's playing in the majors. But the other guys, if they can get their games back and they can be playing on weekends, they are guys that absolutely can move the needle. My question is, is DeChambeau going to be healthy enough? Can... Dustin Johnson turned back the clock. And Tiger turned back the clock. He won a Masters in his 40s. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could do that. I, I just wonder if those guys are committed enough right now to playing on the PGA Tour on a week-to-week basis that they're going to make a difference. We know Scheffler's going to be there. We know Rahm's going to be there. We know Mor- Morikawa's going to be there. But those guys, since they had won Majors, they weren't playing nearly as many regular PGA Tour events anyway. I always try to put myself in somebody else's shoes and not just think about what I, Michelle Mm -hmm. Smallman, would do. But if I'm Brooks Koepka, what my thought process might be. He's won majors. He's had a very successful career. And I don't know what it's like to constantly be injured and the grueling process that it is of trying to come back. I think guys like Tiger Woods, the fact that he can make the impossible recovery somehow happen time and time again, we sometimes take that for granted Mm -hmm. and what that process is like and the fact that not everybody is built for that. And at some point, there's an attrition there of your will, maybe, and of your competitive spirit when you're injured. And at the end of the day, 
we expect all of these people to be fierce competitors, but how many of them at this stage of their career are looking at it as just a job? And when you get to that stage in your life when you've made it in your career to a certain point and you've had success, everything eventually becomes a job. Mm -hmm. And if they're looking at this and this is the way for them to make the most money at their job Mm -hmm. without having to continue to sacrifice their health in the same manner, I don't know. It might be actually an easy decision for a lot of these guys. Now, I wonder if it'll be an easy decision, for example, for Anheuser-Busch and Brooks Kepka does Michelob Ultra ads. If you are AB and you see a guy go to get paid directly by MBS, who we know killed an American journalist, who we know has had gay people killed and imprisoned in Saudi Arabia, who we know has been part of, and by the way, they are opening things up for women, but part of an oppression of women over the years. If you're Michelob Ultra, if you're Anheuser-Busch, Do you want to have a guy representing you that, number one, isn't going to be on TV anymore, and number two, is taking a check directly from MBS, the the Saudi prince? There is, this is a very polarizing topic, and there are a a handful of other great athletes that are far less controversial. If I'm Anheuser-Busch, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to touch this at all. When you made your decision to defect from mm-hmm. the PGA, I think you're also making a decision to potentially say goodbye to a lot of your your American sponsorship money. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of these guys with this money being guaranteed are okay doing that. But if I'm Anheuser-Busch or any one of these big national sponsors, I'm, I'm thinking about my money that's allocated to athletes and I'm thinking I could I could give this to just I don't even know if he's part of this but why wouldn't I give this to Steph Curry you're a champion what do you mm-hmm. dr- what do you drink after a championship win Bud Light an Anheuser-Busch product you better believe it or or any of these younger golfers that you could probably get for a, a cheaper amount that aren't going to bring you any backlash I think that's the key is they want to in in this country stay away from backlash I don't think they have beer in Saudi Arabia, don't they? they? Well, they aren't allowed to drink it, right? So I don't think that it's going to be a big deal there. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to get a lot of people who want to consume their product because Brooks Kepka's talking about it on social media. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting... To me, Michelle, because Phil was pretty much done and Dustin Johnson had fallen off dramatically, I, I, I still go into majors expecting Brooks Kepka to find it again. I think this is the the biggest t- and for me the most surprising takeaway from the PGA Tour for live that it was Brooks Kepka. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I gasped during the segment when I saw it come over my phone. Even though we had heard a lot of rumblings yesterday that this was coming, his comments over the weekend at the U.S. Open were like, "I'm sick of talking about this." Mm-hmm. You know, you're taking away from the U.S. Open. Yeah. I haven't given it much thought. So. Was he just lying to everybody? Yes, he was. <laughs> well, his agent was thinking a lot about that 10%. Yeah, right. You know, but that, that to me, is part of a greater conversation, too, that you were able to, with a straight face, get up there and not even bat an eye and lie to everybody and really put on this great yeah. performance about how affected you were by even mm-hmm. being asked a question about Live Golf during the U.S. Open. Clearly, Come on. he didn't want to be asked about it. Yeah, of course. And when Phil said one of the main reasons he was doing this was because of the PGA's greed, you know, he was the one who, who commented on social media. I think you're the last person who should be talking about greed, Phil. I, I mean, this is it's mm-hmm. it's hard not to you know criticize him for some hypocrisy here. You know, just be honest. Jay Delsing said it last week. Just be honest and say I'm going because I'm going to make a lot of money. And it's going to change my life, and I can at least respect that to a point. Yeah.
And by the way, we, we get a text that we aren't talking about golf because the golf doesn't matter in this league. It's all about money. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's shotgun starts, even though they have, what, five of the top 100 golfers now. They also have in their roster 43 guys that aren't in the top 100 that you've never heard of. So that's why, we, and it's on YouTube, and it'll never find its way to Golf Channel or Network TV. So that's why we aren't talking about the golf aspect of this. And I think if you are one of these athletes that decides to defect and go to live, you're putting golf on the back burner. Yeah, you are. Right. You're going to play eight times a year on that tour, and that's it. And you hopefully you're going to, for you, you're going to play in the majors. And the Masters is going to be the key to all of this. The, the Masters will be the tournament that determines whether or not there is a live tour or not. And there's multiple guys who have said those eight times are not real golf. Shotgun no. starts, the, the pairings they have, 54 holes. It's not a real tournament in the same way that these guys have been playing pro coming up their entire career the way it's been for you know 50 years this isn't a real tournament so that's all we need to say about the golf that's all that needs to be said about it exactly that is matthew that's michelle i'm randy coming up our tuesday visit with mike claiborne coming your way on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Michelle and Randy with you, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend Mike Claiborne joins us, as he does every Tuesday here on 101 ESPN. Claibs, of course, with the Cardinal Broadcast. He's got the Joe West 50... 5460 podcast. He's got ClaibsOnline.com. He's a busy man, and uh, we appreciate your time this morning. Sir, how you doing? I'm doing well. Um, not as well as the Cardinal Bats, but uh, I'm doing okay. Hey, I got a question for you, because you're around this team all the time. If the Cardinals go to the bullpen and it's not Helsley or Cabrera or Gallegos, how you feeling? Mm. <laughs> uh, you know what? It, it, it is it is uh, quite the issue right now because, and I know people ask, well, why is he? Why is Marmo pitching this guy or pitching Gallegos? You can only run those guys out, and I think if anything, all you have to do is look at what the San Diego Padres did last year. Mm-hmm. They had like about three guys, four guys in their bullpen, and they ran them out every day. And by the time we got to July, they had nothing, and they just went on a downward spiral. And I think that that that's the same situation we have here. And, and let's face it, they've been there have been guys who have been given ample opportunities to get the job done, mm-hmm. and they just can't. And you know, God love them, but you know, at this point, you have to start thinking about options. Because you're going to face teams with better pitching, a little bit more offense, and you have to figure out, hey, we can't score eight runs every night. We're going to have to shut some people down. And if you notice the the hole in the wall starts in the seventh inning, and you you just don't know how to get out of the way of it. So there's got to be some discussion going on about how do we bolster that area. And last year, it was Wade LeBlanc, it was Luis Garcia, it was T.J. McFarlane. Those guys kind of came in and, and fixed it. This year, we, you know, McFarland has not been as good, and Verhagen has not been as good as they thought he was going to be, and everybody else doesn't count at this point. So they've got to figure out something. Claves, do you expect the Cardinals to be aggressive in addressing this come the trade deadline? <clears throat> well, Michelle, I think the first thing they want to do is see if they can fix it internally. And, you know, if Flaherty steps up and, and gives you more than five innings and, and Hicks comes back 
and does his job, and all of a sudden you've got uh, Palante in the bullpen, then maybe you can fix it internally. Uh, you know, Zach Thompson is a guy I think they're going to look at to be another left-hander out of the bullpen. So they're going to look at it internally, and I would think that would go on until at least the, the middle of July, if not earlier. But after that, you know, this is something you can't let get out of hand because I don't think you can just take for granted, oh, well, you know, Milwaukee will get in and we'll get in. I don't know if you can take that for granted if you start to really get out of control here. So, you know, I would say give it maybe a week or two, maybe three, and after that you have to look outside of what you have in your organization. Clip, speaking of Jack Flaherty, he goes tonight for the Cardinals, his second start of the season. He was the first to admit that his command wasn't there during his first outing, but that there were a lot of nerves. I think he, he said he was juiced up in his first time out since returning from the injured list. What are your expectations for Jack Flaherty and his second start tonight? I'm looking for Jack to go at least six, maybe seven. I, I think he needs to make a statement that – you know, everybody thinks I'm a, I'm an ace or a potential ace. I need to go out and prove it against a good team. And, and Milwaukee isn't that good offensively, but I think you have to make a statement that I'm here and I'm going to be a guy that you can look to to get seven, and then we'll figure out the rest. But I, I think now that the nerves are behind them, at least we think they are, then I look for him to come out and to start dealing like I think we expect him to. Claves, I want to talk about another team. The Yankees are 50-17 and 17 right now. They matched the 98 Yankees, which was a team, by the way, and maybe it was, I guess it was, because of Joe Torre. But I took him across the state for, at that time, my four-year-old son so that he could see what I thought, man, this is one of the greatest teams of all time. And they had already won a couple of World Series by that time. Do you think this has a chance to be an all-time great team? Do, do the names that the Yankees have on their roster right now, do they tell you all-time great team? Um, the record says one thing, the names say no. And, and because I think that this is an old-school team of a guy, some guys who like to sit back and they're all Weaver, three-run homer school of thought. I don't know if they're complete. You know, I don't see them enough to know whether they're good enough defensively. Uh, their pitching has been good. You know, you talk about the bullpen. Uh, I, I would imagine most people couldn't name three guys in their bullpen right now. You know, their starters are all bought and paid for, and, and they're, they're, they're healthy. But I'm going to wait on that because I, I just think that uh, the way the game works today, a team can get off on a run and, and really make an impression but there's always postseason as far as, how, you know, you don't want to be like the Dodgers were last year where everybody, oh, their pitching is incredible. And then you've got Max Scherzer saying my arm is shot, you know, in the biggest game of the year. So I'm going to wait. But they, they certainly have potential. But the names don't scare me. I, I think I'd say to myself, you know, I we can pitch these guys. I mean, you know, you know Stanton and, and um, the, the other guy, guy his Judge. name is Judge, you know, they're going to give you 150 strikeouts uh, uh, between the two of them, 300 strikeouts a year. And if you don't leave it in the middle of the plate, you know, you, you can be okay. And I, and I just don't know if they have enough legitimate hitters. They have power. I don't think anybody would argue with that, but I don't know if they have enough hitters. And if you're patient and you pitch and you play good defense, I think they can be had. And by the way, Claves, this is remarkable. To your point, Aroldis Chapman is hurt right now. Their closer is Clay Holmes. Their other relievers, the Yankees, other relievers right now are Michael King, Wandy Peralta, Miguel Castro, Lucas Lutke, Clark Schmidt, Ron 
Miranaccio and Manny Banuelos. Those are the other Yankee relief pitchers. That's my point. Uh, if, if those guys walked into your local, if, hey Michelle, if they walked into the Capitol Grill or Cafe Napoli, <laughs> you wouldn't know these guys, you know, from anybody else. No okay? clue, no clue. And, and you I might know them though. You know everybody. Well, I wouldn't know them. <laughs> I wouldn't know them. But my point being, you know, can they weather a season? And we've learned firsthand. You know, pitching is is such a premium. And you know, if and and I love I love their manager, great guy. But he's got to figure out how to manage those guys throughout the course of the year and not overexpose them, because as we see, there's so much information available, and they pay guys a lot of money to figure out how to beat people now. Um, so I, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna hold off on that. Claims the Cardinals and the Brewers. We we all assumed it was going to be a race to the finish to determine who would be the NL Central champions. They have basically identical records with the Brewers. Win last night, they pushed themselves uh, one game ahead, and they took the lead in the division as well. But both teams have a lot of similarities. They they have their strengths, they have their weaknesses. They've endured a lot of injuries to start the season. But when you look at the Brewers and the Cardinals, do you think the Cardinals should be better than the Brewers? Uh, yes, they should because you know what they they can pitch and they got better defense. Not to mention the offense is better. Uh, but when it's said, it's kind of like when the Cardinals play the Cubs. You know, you look at the regular; oh, the Cubs are terrible. And then all of a sudden, they play the Cardinals and they play like it's 2016. So, I just think it's one of those division rivalries where they know each other so well that, as the man once said, throw all the records out of the window because I don't think it counts when you face these teams. Um, and so when this series, I'm looking at the schedule, I'm sorry, four games, and I don't think we'll learn anything about the other team that we didn't already know when it's over with. And I think both teams will say, all right, now we know, let's go get this or let's try and fix that. I, I think this is a fact-finding series more than a deciding series. The latest edition of the 5460 podcast with Mike Claiborne and Joe West dropped yesterday. And it was striking to me, Mike, when I got the notification, and I don't know why, but when it said ESPN's Joe Buck. Just, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what, Randy? It, it was the same thing. We talked about it in, in the podcast a little bit, but and I would suggest to all your listeners, go check it out because, you know, Randy, you've known Joe for a long time, as have I. You know, when Joe gets in this kind of environment, he just lets it go and just has fun with it. But he has some interesting things to say about that whole transition. And, uh, and when you listen to it, he just sounds like he's in a very happy place in his life uh, for a lot of reasons. Career-wise, you know, he's got a young family as well that he's having a chance to spend more time with than maybe he would have uh, being with Fox. Uh, but it's it was fun, and, and I'm glad we did it. And uh, I would suggest to everybody just go check it out, and you, you can hear for yourself how much fun Joe Buck is having. And Joe West was having a good time with him. And Joe and I talked about it yesterday, about, man, you know, Joe was more fun than I thought he was going to be. I said, <laughs> well, you know, you, know you, you haven't been around him enough then because I don't think Joe has many bad days on, on, on a microphone. No, he's he's one of the best. Michael, always good to talk to you, and we recommend everybody just go do a, a search at your favorite podcast distributor for 5460, the Joe West podcast. And are, are you in town or are you with the club in Milwaukee? I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow we are, yeah. oh, at DJ's tournament. 
Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, we're looking forward to that. All right, my man, thank you very much. And Michelle, the next time I see you, well, the next time I see you, looking forward to it, we'll have a good time. Sounds good, Claims, as always. (laughs) (laughs) She's like chuckling under her breath here. (laughs) Well, Claims, real quick, Randy, you know how I call you the mayor? Because everywhere you go, everybody knows you. I think Mike Claiborne's giving you a run for your money with the mayor. Anytime I'm around Mike, I can barely get five words in before somebody's popping in to be like, Claims, so good to see you. You know what? And my significant, my significant is it's starting to really make her blood boil. So now, I have to take her somewhere. We sit in a corner somewhere. And, you know, I love it when people come up, you know, and she's she's a pe- she's not as much of a people person as I am. But, I, you know, I do really try and spend quiet time with her. Uh, but there have been some times she's like, all right, we're not, we're not going <laughs> to sit here again. We're going to go somewhere else. Yeah, I don't so, blame her. Here's so the now, Randy thing. and I are the associate ambassadors. There you <laughs> right. go. Here's the thing. That's who we are. And, and Claves, I, I can guarantee you, I don't even need to hear you say the answer. If you go to the Ozarks or Chicago, the exact same thing happens, right? Oh, we were in Chicago. <laughs> the other, when we play the Cubs, I, I go to Giordano's Pizza. It's about, about a three-block walk from the hotel. And I'm sitting there, at, at, you know, minding my own business, and all of a sudden, like, these three people come up. And uh, and it's like, hey, let's have a party. And I'm like, oh man, this is, but it was cool. They were really nice people from St. Louis, and so you know what, this is what we do. This is what we sign yep. up for. And you know what, I appreciate. It. I appreciate somebody thinking enough to say hello. Yeah, me too. I'm the same way. Clay- What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. It is time for your Killing Me Smalls, and that is your local snack and sip store. Can't beat uh, our friends at Mobile on the Run. They do great work. I'm surprised you don't have your daily mobile on the run beverage here with you. Oh, get one later. I love the people over at my mobile on the run. We're, I, we're buddies. I love that it depends on the day, what time of day you pop by mobile on the run to get your beverage. Sometimes it's before the show. Sometimes it could be after the show. Do you but ever, you're there. Do you ever wake up, in a, especially after a late night, do you ever wake up with just a dull head? It's, it just you, you just yes okay. I mean all the time <laughs> okay good well your your coffee is my diet Dr Pepper it just sharpens mm, me yes so and oh, I don't need it every mean, morning you just mean a night where you don't get a lot of sleep right yeah yeah not like a we've uh, gone out type oh no night. Uh, no yeah. where you just I was like where do you, you just go need out and not wake up with up. a dull head <laughs> yeah no it, 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 I don't even go out anymore Michelle I'm old. I rarely do, Randy, and when I do, it takes me three days to recover. Here's what we're fired up about. So we've got Muni season tickets. We're fired up about that. Went to Chicago Saturday. And Muni and Josh Groban. I mean, that's Josh Groban on Sunday. That's what we're fired up about in our household. Josh Groban, the pipe's on him. He can sing. He He can can sing. sing. Now, you know, speaking of the Muni, I was thinking about that. I need to make a St. Louis summer bucket list because I have not been to the Muni since I got back to town four years ago. Oh, we got to get you there. I, I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, why haven't I been to the Muni? I need to go to Shakespeare in the Park. Mm-hmm. I need to, there's all these, I, need, I haven't been to the zoo. There's all of these things that I need to do that I haven't done because I moved home and, you know, that first year working on a morning show, the Blues mm-hmm. won the Stanley Cup. It was a mm-hmm. lot happening at once. And then boom, global pandemic. 
Oh, yeah, right. You know what I mean? So a lot of the time that I would have been immersing myself in things to do in St. Louis, I haven't been doing it because there was a pandemic wedged in the middle of my time here for two years. So we got to get we got to get that list working. And I think the Muni is at the top of it. My show this year that I'm looking forward to is Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Go, 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 Joseph. I was going to say that one in color purple seemed like they're going to be the two best ones. Should be fun. Hey, the 101 mobile app is loaded with a ton of awesome giveaways this month. And it's your chance to win $1,000 in cash, a portable Traeger grill. That's right, a Traeger grill, a rolling Yeti cooler, a signed Ryan O'Reilly jersey, and much, much more. Just download the app, get registered, and all those contests going on right now on the 101 mobile app. And you can help us out, too, because we want to win a contest against the other stations here in the building. We don't. We did a segment at seven fifteen called "Want or Need." We don't want to win the contest mm-hmm. against everyone else. We need to win the contest. I believe I told the Riz Show to sleep with one eye open. Mm-hmm. I've been making some threats in the hallway, so we need you to help us back these up. All right, time now for. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, speaking of fun for everyone, the Warriors Championship Parade was yesterday, and those guys had a blast. Clay Thompson had a day. He lost his championship hat in the ocean on the way to the parade. <laughs> he was doing the Michael Jackson dance in the middle of the street with the trophy. He um may have had some beverages, Randy, and he accidentally <laughs> tripped and knocked over a fan oh, on the God, street. Yeah. <laughs> he actually dropped one of his championship rings on the street, too. So a day had by Clay. There was a lot of videos of Steph Curry into the wee hours with his Don Julio and the trophy. I think he might have woken up with a dull head this mm-hmm. morning. He might need to stop at Mobile on the Run and get a DDP. But, of course, Draymond Green is the star of the show. G- Draymond Green loves to trash talk, and after he won another ring, <laughs> because Becoming a four-time NBA champion, he grabbed the mic yesterday and he let everybody know what's up. I just want to say thank you all, and as always, everybody else. I love y'all. Pretty simple. Yeah, and you know what? That's the way Draymond feels, and he uh, he took it from the Boston fans, right? But then he threw it right back in their faces with the W. But you know what? When you're a champion and you're at the championship day that. parade, that's what you can say. Now, I really don't want his wife complaining about bad language being spoken in front of kids anymore True. when your husband grabs the mic and drops the F word at the parade. At a parade? Yeah. I understand that you are trying to be protective of your family and your kids, but if he's going to go out there and do the exact same thing at the parade, let's maybe tamper down the, yeah. the complaints about swear words. Also, Agreed. it was Boston. There's a very good chance there was kids starting that chant. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. So we know that Charles Barkley has called Kevin Durant a bus rider, not a bus driver. And he is still on this, Randy. And a lot of the offseason NBA talk is going to be surrounding the Brooklyn Nets and what happens with Kyrie and therefore Kevin Durant. And Charles Barkley's doubled down. He says that KD needs to win a title as a bus driver. Before KD gets that great respect from all the old heads, he's going to have to win a championship as a guy, as a bus driver. Listen, he joined this, uh, that team had already won a championship, so no disrespect, that's just a fact. But until he is the guy on a championship team, we're not going to ever give him the respect, I mean, that he probably deserves. And that's just the way it is. And like I say, if the game hasn't changed, Kobe said it, LeBron said it. And so we're going to hold him to the same high standard. 
So Charles saying that KD will not get the respect from the old heads unless he wins a ring as a bus driver. What about his peers? What do KD's peers think? Here's CJ McCollum on Get Up responding to those comments made by Charles Barkley. I strongly, strongly disagree with Charles Barkley here. Obviously, he's a legend in his own right. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was the bus driver, however, he didn't win a championship. Mm-hmm. And I think in KD's case, it was different. Obviously, he joined a very, very good team with uh, championship caliber roster, very deep. But he was the bus driver of that team. Obviously, you got Steph Curry, two-time MVP, unanimous. But he averaged 30 points, seven rebounds, four and a half assists in the last in, in his 15 games in his finals career. He showed that he has the ability to take over games late. He was about to win a third straight finals MVP uh, before he ended up getting hurt against the Raptors. But right. I think his resume speaks for itself. There's no blemishes on it. Obviously, a lot of people aren't happy with the decision that he made July 4th, but it is what it is. And I think that made him a better basketball player. I don't believe, all due respect to C.J. McCollum, that Kevin Durant has picked up a franchise and carried it to a championship. I don't believe uh, that team had already won a championship. They knew how to win. What he was there, what Kevin Durant was in Golden State was kind of like LeBron where Wade had already won a championship and Durant had to go there to learn how to win, but then he didn't hasn't been able to carry it over to uh, Brooklyn. When you get shut down by uh, the likes of Jason Tatum, who's terrific defensively, when you can't beat Giannis in the playoffs, and that's the guy you're going up against, that's the one-on-one battle, I would I would side with Charles Barkley here. And I believe that the best player in the world is Kevin Durant. But I don't think that he's picked up a franchise, and I don't think he picked up the Warriors and led them to the title. I, I think that that team was going to win with or without him. I don't think he picked them up, but I think C.J. McCollum made, makes a very salient point. He might not have been the initial bus driver, but he grabbed the keys and he kicked Steph out of the driver's seat and he was the MVP. Well, I, I don't know if he kicked Steph out. Of, I, I still think that Steph was the guy there, and I think they would have won without. They they had won without KD. So I, I believe they would have. I mean, I, I mean, if you're going to talk about him taking a team to the championship, it's, it's much more impressive taking that young Thunder team to a championship appearance with with Russell Westbrook, mm-hmm. Serge Ibaka, and James Harden than, than winning the finals with the Warriors, in my opinion. Because, again, you also have to look at the fact that the system, the offensive system, the defensive system around the Warriors that makes them championship contenders, that made them championship contenders three, four years after their initial run, that was there, and Kevin Durant kind of came into it. They changed it a little bit. But without that basis, they don't win those championships. And that means, yeah, Kevin Durant might be the best player. He might be the best-looking guy on the bus, but he's still not in the driver's seat. And that's the difference, is I, I think that guys can be the best player. Charles Barkley. For he won an MVP. He was the best player, but never won a championship. He was he never he was never the bus driver for a championship team either. And I, I think there's a lot of similarities there. So CJ McCollum responded to Charles Barkley's comments. Kevin Durant quote tweeting CJ McCollum's response to Charles Barkley saying, This is a nasty, terrible analogy from a hating old head that just can't accept that we're making more bread than them. It's just timing, Chucky. Don't hate the playa. I don't think this has anything to do with Charles Barkley and how much money he's made. I completely agree with you on that one. Even though I think Kevin Durant definitely took the key, I disagree about him not being a bus driver. I think that this has nothing to do with money, and I think Charles Barkley has been very steadfast in his commentary saying, if, if you want to be in the same conversation as a Kobe or a Michael or some of the all-time greats, we are going to hold you to those same standards. And by the way, 
Kobe was held to those exact same standards until he won without Shaq. Right? People felt the exact same way about Kobe. They won three championships together, but everybody said, well, Shaq was the man. Right. You haven't been the bus driver yet. So it had, he had to win those other two with Paul Gasol as his Robin before he got that respect. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. And thank you very much for tuning in. Hey, we have some tickets to give away. The Cardinals Bud Bash ticket giveaway. You can win a four-pack of tickets to this coming Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash. Cards and Marlins one week from tonight. It's the Budweiser Bash game of the 2022 th- uh, next Budweiser Bash game of the season. And it features a limited edition dual bobblehead giveaway featuring former Cardinals pitchers John Stuper and Dave LaPointe, both rookies in 82. Get all the details for Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash now at cardinals.com slash promotions. And we are allowing... The one, the only Matthew Rocchio to provide the question for this Budweiser bash. It'll be texter number 50 who gets this question right that will get four tickets to the Budweiser bash. Matthew, what do you got? What award-winning St. Louis native hip-hop producer did Randy Carricker name drop in the St. Louis City segment with Matt Seebeck and Muhammad Mastermind? What award-winning St. Louis native hip-hop and rap producer did Randy character name drop in the 845 segment. All right. There you go. You can win tickets if you answer that question correctly. Text your number 60 to, or 50 to 65780. We're going to head down the stretch. Coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Congratulations to Chris from St. Louis. He knew that Metro Boomin was the Grammy-winning producer that I referenced in our interview with Matt Seebeck and Mastermind. So Chris is on his way to the Cardinals Budweiser Bash event next Tuesday at the ballpark. Here's the rough part about being a producer for Metro Boomin. He technically, while he's been, all he has credits on a couple of Grammy producing winning tracks, he technically himself doesn't get credit for being a Grammy Award winner, which I think is kind of insane. It's ridiculous. And I've been there. I've been nominated, but uh, I'm in the same boat. A couple of uh, texts for you as we head down the stretch. Uh, this from the 618. See if I can get this one right. Hey, Randy, I know you're the sports guru, but do you remember what Gary Pemple- Templeton did that only one other player has done? I believe you're referring to getting 100 hits from both sides of the plate, which Willie Wilson has also done. Willie Wilson of the Kansas City Royals. Text in 65780 if I got that one right. And this one, Michelle, uh, from the 618. Mosellock is a moron for calling up Lars instead of Burleson. Wow. Also not DFAing Verhagen, McFarland, and Dickerson by now. A moron, huh? That's what he called him. Yep. Wow. So. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, really. I like Lars. I like having somebody named Newt Bar on the team. He's my devil magic pick. Well, yeah. I guess Brendan Donovan kind of facepalmed me on that one. There's yeah. still time for Lars. Yeah, there is. Yes, sir. What's Apparently, wrong? this is crazy. We've talked about this before. Apparently, there is a statistical issue with that Gary Templeton record because different sites actually dispute whether or not it's a record. Yeah, but some it, have him. Some have him down for 96 hits yeah, instead it, of the even 100 from the left yeah, hand that, side. Uh, he does have 100 from both sides because he actually. Right side, sorry. Yeah, from the he he spent the stretch of the season hitting right-handed against left-handed against right-handed pitching. So he he did. He had and and I think that's where the the problem came is because he was a switch hitter and he actually went for it down the stretch in the last week of the season. Okay, I see it. Okay, that's so, that's really fun. Yeah. And so the 618 says correct the mundo Yeah, so nicely done. Right. 111 from the left hand as a lefty and 100 as a righty. Pretty good. He was a Bob Bragg who was around Bob Bragg saw Babe Ruth play. 
And Bob Bragg told me and several others that Gary Templeton was the most talented baseball player he ever saw, but he was done in by his bad knees. Wow, that's yeah. quite the statement. Yeah. Most talented player he ever. He was unbelievable. You who, talk about a five-tool guy. Tempe was a five-tool guy. Who is the most talented player you've ever seen? It, just in terms of raw talent? Yes. The, the because five tools? it doesn't have to necessarily be the one who had the most illustrious career, but just from a raw talent standpoint. Might be Brian Jordan. Really? Yep. I mean, he could hit. And by, an by the athlete. way, BJ's in town right now. Hit, hit for power, run, field, throw. He was... His raw tools were remarkable. Wow. Where was young Andrew Jones in that when he was coming up? Young Andrew Jones, an absolute stud. And he he's a Hall of Famer, but it's amazing how the highlights of his career were before he was 21 years old. We've got a balloon party coming up. T-Mac and Ajax coming your way here on 101 ESPN. Great job by our producer engineer, Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Michelle, this was fun. It's good to be back. Welcome back, Randy, thank and you. I will see you for Hump Day. Hump Day. Tomorrow we'll have Wayno, and we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.